Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, Adam here with Bowen and Anonymous Podcast. Got a great podcast for you today talking more about elk hunting and gear. Um, today we're talking with Joe Higginbotham. He is a Bowhunter Planet ambassador, Chasing Chance TV field staff. Uh, he also works with a veterans program called Rover. Um, but today's podcast has a ton of information on it. So I've broken down in the show notes for you all the different topics that we cover. So if you had questions or uh, you want to hear about a certain topic specifically, you can just skip to that. Um, it is a really great podcast. And I would like to thank Joe for coming on. Again, check out our Facebook page, Instagram. If you've got any questions or you want to follow up, um, Joe's been gracious enough to put all of his information uh, out there to us. Uh, so feel free to get a hold of him. Also go ahead and check out any of our affiliates, the Bowhunter Box Club, um, as well as Serviceide. Go check out those websites and you can use code Chronicles and you can save 10% uh, on both of those respective websites. Get ready for another great episode and thanks again to Joe. Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast here with uh, your host Adam and John and uh, we are here today, uh, we got a very special guest, he is one of the um, ambassadors for Bowhunter Planet, um, that's kind of how I met him, I'm an ambassador through Bowhunter Planet as well and uh, he's always posting things about elk hunting so I just kind of reached out to him. His name is Joe Higginbotham and he, he's a retired Army veteran, uh, 24 years of service, and he runs, um, he's the veteran service uh, nonprofit coordinator for the Regional Outreach Veteran Engagement Resources Program. Um, he spent approximately 30 days last year taking Gold Star kids and spouses out on whitetail deer, turkey, and elk hunts throughout Mississippi, Colorado, um, North Carolina, as well as Virginia. So, um, how are you doing today, Joe? Doing great, Adam. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Hi, John. Oh, anything I missed there in the 
in the bio? No, you can just shorten that whole uh, regional outreach thing in the rover. That's just, that's the short name, it's acronym, if you will. Yeah, you know how we like to truncate everything. So, uh, yeah, sure. rover. Sure. Um, just makes it, otherwise, it's just a big mouthful, kind of like Higginbotham. Right. So. Right. Yeah. So we'll just go with Joe. So. <laughs> yeah, let's go with Joe for that. So tell us a little bit about that rover program. I mean, obviously, being a veteran and and all that, I looked to some of those programs. But uh, in talking with you recently, you were you were telling me more about there's tons of programs out there. How did you get involved with that? So, yeah, so I got involved with a, a gentleman, James McCrillis, who runs Rover. He is a, a veteran as well. Just He retired shortly before me. And came, we came from the same community, if you will, within, within the Army. Um, same kind of brotherhood. And he's like, hey, I'm looking for a guy that knows something about going out in the woods and not getting lost and maybe killing some stuff and taking some guys out there. And I said, well, okay. Um, I, I can kill things. I don't know about getting lost, but I can, <laughs> I'm halfway there. And so he says, well, you're the guy. I said, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I've come from that background of just vague guidance and just go with it. And so we kind of started going with that and started getting some hunts together. Uh, we've actually are in the process of getting a, a, if you watch land of the free project, there is a crew that we're going out with taking three guys out to Idaho this coming fall It's going to be filmed and then, and then put out there for public consumption later on via YouTube, full draw film tour and other, other avenues. So, uh, pretty exciting. Uh, so Rover is the outdoor activities is just one of the small pieces that we do. The other pieces is therapeutic recreation, and uh, our, that's a huge part of it. Getting guys, our basic, if you want to say tagline, so to speak, is to get veterans off the couch and out of the house. There's a lot of guys who are dealing with injuries, especially guys with your big burns, your missing, missing limbs, especially if they're young when it happened, and they really don't want to go out. There's a lot of guys stuck stuck on the couch. They don't stay inside. They scare kids at Walmart because they're either missing an arm or maybe half their faces burned or maybe all their faces burned off. You know, it scares people. And then so there's a scar attached to that. I I just rather just stay at home and deal with it in the dark and play, I don't know, Minecraft or whatever people do who stay inside. I don't know what those are. So I I, I defer back to 10 and 12-year-old kids that I know for for, uh, staying inside stuff. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, in that, um, that little description, you hit on a couple of things. Um, that's, if you've been listening to, uh, the podcast here, you know, we are going to Idaho on elk hunt. Uh, we are also mm-hmm. going in September. We're going, it turns out the week before you are. Um, but right. unbeknownst to me, I didn't know any of that other than I saw you post a bunch of pictures and talk about trying to get some guys together to, to elk hunt. So I just reached out to you and said, Hey, what do I do? <laughs> and so, yeah, um, and and I'm glad you did um, because every, they told me that I was supposed to be doing something else because all the other real cool, knowledgeable kids were out doing something else when you were looking for knowledge. So you're stuck with me at this point, right? Right. Well, hey, <laughs> yeah. So I'll, we'll take it wherever we can get it. You know, we're like I said. There you go. I said in the last podcast, I said we're not experts really at uh, at anything, but we can be a resource, and that's the that's the thing is like. Even even before I started any of this podcast or before I became an ambassador with, uh, um, you know, Bowhunter Planet, 
I would have never known. I would. I don't think I would have ever had um, the confidence, or or I don't even know, just to reach out and ask somebody for help, or just you know, or even say, well, you know, I see this guy posting a bunch of stuff about hunting. You know, I'm 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 a hunter. I'm supposed to know everything about about hunting. People ask me about hunting, so you know, I I probably wouldn't have have reached out. So um, you know, absolutely, just, just to have that information out there, and uh, again, even for me to be able to listen back to some of the people that I've talked to is, is helpful as well, you know, cause you can't remember everything. And when we talked the last time I've got six sheets of paper here that I was feverishly writing notes, <laughs> you know, and trying to remember what did he say about uh, messing with bears and peeing on trees? I don't remember exactly <laughs> what he said. <laughs> that, that don't sound too That's good. only if the elk hunting's going slow. Do you want to do that? Um, that's uh, that can be a fun endeavor. We can talk about that later on in the podcast, but you know, you talked about the knowledge thing, just being a resource. It's, I'll kind of jump in this right now. Um, expectation management when it comes to elk hunting, for understanding you're doing unit 15, mm-hmm. um, which right in the middle of it is actually a place called Elk City. So I think you're probably in the right spot. Right. Um, <laughs> if they named it Elk City, I, I would probably think you, that might be a, a good indicator. Uh, so with expectation management, out there with public land. I was just going through go hunt insider uh, 2.0 and looking through different areas, just kind of click on areas across the West. And you're looking at an average of 15 to 20% success rate in archery season over the counter. Do it yourself hunt. It's kind of scary if you think about it. Um, at the same time though, you're not going to be the only person that eats a tag. If you do, if you're not successful. And I think uh, one of the things talking with people out West and meeting people traveling, doing this stuff is people are willing to share a lot about elk hunting. Uh, they may not show you your, their honey hole, but they're willing to talk about techniques or to talking about, Hey, don't do this. Or, Hey, I did this one time. It may not work. Or, you know, I had this piece of gear and it was not right for me. Um, you can try it yourself, but this is the problems I had. So, um, the knowledge and the resources out there, it's not kind of like, unlike whitetail, us in the whitetail world, where everybody's kind of closely guarded on where, on techniques and, and tactics and stuff like that. I think a lot of it has to do because private land is the dominant thing out here east, and I'm going to include Michigan and east. Uh, people tend to be more guarded with, you know, public lands are scarcer here than they are out west. And people will just keep stuff, keep their hands around the rice bowl as opposed to out West where people are willing to share with you. Hey, yeah, this is really working right now. Week three of, of, of the rut, if you will, um, the time, the, the, the peak breeding season is, you know, we're only using cow calls and being successful. You'd be surprised how much you pick up from guys just sitting at a restaurant somewhere in between hunts and just kind of get a morale booster and talk to a person and say, yeah, I, I put the bugle down. I've been cow calling and it's worked out great for me. Or they'll tell you, hey, scream your head off because the bulls are screaming and they're so aggressive right now. But like I said, once again, expectation management is definitely key with this. Keep your mind in, in the game that it's not a slam dunk thing if you're doing it over the counter, and especially DIY. Well, that's one of the things I think, you know, one of the guys that kind of pointed us in the, the direction and a local guy here that's kind of talking to, it, uh, talking to us about it. One of the things that drew us to this hunt 
and this um, this area and everything is a we we had a, a resource right out of the gate, uh, but B was it's a an any elk tag so cow spike right. branch bull you know so from what he is telling us we're gonna see elk and perhaps we'll get an opportunity but from what you were saying from 20 to 25 percent it sounds like we need two more guys so then, <laughs> then one of us is gonna get one right i mean that's the <laughs> that's the, well, up the up the odds when we bring <laughs> another guy in <laughs> if, you, if you can find that one tied to a tree you, you've, you've come you've made a lucky day um yeah so yeah um it just is you know you're, you're gonna eat a lot of tags sometimes and then sometimes you're right in especially for us who are cut who have to travel out there so you're not spending every weekend three times a week after work or before work as the sun's coming up or sun's setting glassing and watching herds and watching where the cows go and stuff like that so right you know we have a little bit of a unfair uh, we we we're already at a disadvantage right if you will i won't say it's unfair because life's not fair but we're already at a disadvantage a little bit as opposed to residents so with that being said um for like, what do you wish you knew from your first oh. elk hunt, or or is that part of it? Before that, even how? So, how many years have you been out there hunting? No, I've been out there three hunting in, three years out there in Western Colorado. Okay, now archery or gun or both or just 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 archery and walking aimlessly through the woods. Okay, so um, yeah, so, so we so, we refer to it as bow hiking. Yeah. The, that's what we are doing. That's right now. it. You get a lot of it. Um, yeah, you get a lot of time just looking cool with a pack on your back. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so things I, I would – there's so many things I wish I knew going into it. Oh, man, there's such a litany of things. One is that expectation management. So I'm going to kind of jump around through some of my notes, but, you know, we watch – we sit here, and especially us out out here in the flatlands, if they want, they want – they like to call us – you you watch YouTube, you watch all these different things. You're like, man, it can't be that hard. And then you get out there and you realize, oh, it is kind of hard. Uh, it's, it's challenging, definitely challenging, more than I ever thought it would be. You know, you're you're on a bull, then you're off a bull, just just a blink of an eye, or you okay, I'm gonna go around this group of, of junipers, and where did that rascal go? They can disappear quick in the woods, and you'd be surprised how quick an 800 pound animal can move and just disappear out of nowhere. So things I wish I'd known, the biggest thing, one of the biggest things I wish I'd known is besides the expectation management would be physical fitness. Um, I thought I was in pretty good shape. There's a reason why they call it the term that they have the term elk shape, uh, especially coming, like I said, from out here, you're talking about a non-resident going to do a, a DIY hunt. You're talking going from like for me, 300 feet, and then starting off on the trailhead, maybe two days later at 9,000 feet. And sure, I hiked around here, sled pushes, squats, uh, lunged everywhere, all over the place. We were running. We did everything we thought we knew to do. But there's no way to replicate being deprived of that oxygen for such a long – all day. Uh, there's no way to, to replicate that. And so you get up there. Your body's now fighting to take whatever oxygen it can. You'd be surprised how quick it will get to you. So, but the only way you can do that is to is to come in the the, the best shape you can be. If you're going to be out there, 
not road hunting and, and not definitely not rifle hunting. If you do archery, you've got to be physically fit. If you can't get to the animal, it's kind of a wasted trip. And if you kill an animal and you can't get it back out, you you owe it to the animal. Right. If you just killed one to, to get that meat back as fast as possible and leave as little on the ground as that you can. Yeah, definitely fitness is, is big. Huge, huge. I wish I'd known. I had, had no idea really about hypoxia. I've been out to Colorado. I've been out to Montana, done other things. Not elk hunting, but I wasn't under load. I wasn't under load. I wasn't stressed. I wasn't sleep deprived, if you will, sleeping out of a tent, stuff like that. So it was a little different. It was a little little eye opener for me, for myself and the rest of the guys that went with me. There's a ton of things I wish I had had known. Well, one thing. So check your laws. They really dig into the into the into the laws because we didn't realize that uh, one of the guys, or two of the guys, had tacticams on their bows. Technically, by Colorado law. There's no electronics are allowed on a bow. I don't know how Garmin's going to do this whole, that new bow site, how that's going to work out. Right. But well, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of guys getting it and like, oh, I can't really, I can't legally take it into the woods now. So we didn't realize walking around the tactic cam, we were technically illegal at that point. So, but we hadn't dug into it. We we're like, yeah, it's a tactic cam. It's not like we're having a laser sight or something that some guys are using. Um, we'll get some gear stuff. Definitely my first my first trip calling would have been a, a, a great thing. Uh, learning calling better than I was. I was poor at best at calling, but I, I didn't really know what I was doing either. And since then, I've delved into a ton of resources. Ton of resources. Um, we were talking earlier. You know, keep a read in your truck or your car going to work or going on a trip. Throw throw that thing in your mouth and get the calling. You get, you know, you can get yourself a DVD from or a CD from like Elk Nut, or uh, record some of the stuff off of Elk One One, um, other places that are out there. And there's there's apps on phones too, and so listen to it and then try to mimic it, kind of like you would going into turkey season. So try to, you know, how do you do that cut? How do you do a? How do you do? How do you do a Yelp? If you will, for turkey, well, how do you do a chuckle? How do I do uh, what's the difference between a challenge bugle and a location bugle? And what's that kind of sound like? How do I lip ball into it to have a little bit of a growl, a little aggressive nature? Those are some of the things I wish I knew. I, I, we just went in and we sounded like, we sounded like, I, I don't know. <laughs> sound like, like the band on Shrek. Yeah, we sound like something off, like, like the band on Shrek 2 <laughs> playing around. We just, I mean, no wonder. <laughs> yeah, no wonder we had some of the last we did. But um, something comical to think about as far as, you know, wish I'd known. We spent two days chasing a mule deer. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, and this is going out there live or out there to the world. We chased for two days a mule deer because we didn't know what, we knew what a cow would what elk cow scat looked like what the droppings looked like well no one could really describe it like oh it's just a little bit bigger if you know what a white tail looks like that's kind of, you know you'll you'll have you'll you'll be able to distinguish between a, a bull and, and a cow well, no one really explained it to us we kept chasing these green warm mule deer turds <laughs> all over the ground i mean they were warm i'm not gonna tell you how we knew they were warm but 
and they were green and they were shiny and they were fresh and we'd sit down and call forever and then we just jump up and say well oh there's another fresh one so let's just go keep going in this direction and so <laughs> finally we realized i finally got cell phone service I sent to a buddy of mine who's been doing this for years i said what's what are we doing wrong i mean we're, we're he's like that's a mule deer <laughs> oh <laughs> like man what do we do i wish we had known that no one ever told us it's different so we're just like well it's got to be you know, in whitetail world, it's it's it looks this way. So it's you know, for a male undulate that's a lot bigger, it's just going to be bigger and the kind of the same shape. So, so that poor mule deer was running around like, why is this elk chasing me everywhere? He was. I'm telling you, I was probably pushing him out of his bedroom all over the place. Like this guy has <laughs> lost his mind. Maybe you know, it was it was a few years ago. Maybe I was. He thought I was identifying as a mule deer. So <laughs> that's the only thing I can come up with. So. Hashtag not one of us. So, oh man, somebody else. We're trying to think some of the things, man. Uh, we can get into gear. I thought maybe we'd get into gear a little later because everybody wants to hear about gear. Right. It seems like when you start talking. But yeah, physical fitness, know what's out there as far as what's around you. Just you're not chasing mule deer thinking you're chasing. <laughs> chasing elk or hey what is this and you realize well that's you know you're going to idaho you've got grizzlies in idaho i think 15 is a little far north and west of grizzly country right as i understand it but you know you may want to know there's no you know animals don't typically have a boundary like oh oops i can't cross this road because i'm not supposed to be over here so you never know i mean what's what's a scat look like for a grizzly versus a, a black bear that might be something to keep in mind also we weren't in it, to, uh, but you're probably going to be in some wolves. And what does wolf look like different than coyote or other animals and predators that are out there? So you may, if you start seeing a bunch of wolf scat everywhere and it's fresh, that might be an indicator why you're not seeing elk right. in that area. And it's like, hey, you know what? We're covered in wolves. Let's pick up and move some other place. Definitely something that's it's scat something to it's a telltale sign if you know if you know what you're looking for <laughs> right <laughs> so um i can't believe we just talked we just spent 15 minutes talking about that uh let's see so many so many other things we talked about um oh the wind the wind's huge out there you're gonna hear because you know the thermals go up the thermals go down and they're always walking into the thermals because then they can smell if there's a predator above them or a predator down below them. So you definitely know, get, need to learn how to play the winds. Carry a wind checker with you and pull that. That thing should almost be in your hand all the time because constantly checking it. Because there are you'll see, without being around a lot of mountains or being in the mountains and not really worrying about it in other situations, but then you go into a hunting situation and not thinking much about the winds and not knowing exactly what those, what really it feels like when the thermal shift, when you get maybe in a basin and then there's, you realize, oh, there's wind that's just swirling all over the place. And you're like, oh, that's, that's not going to be good, which that's going to change your setup completely. Um, those are things that we probably winded more out a few years ago than, than we saw. There's probably a reason why we heard a lot of hooves running away and branches breaking as antlers were breaking or snapping across them. So definitely I learned about, learned about when the hard way. Um, let's see what else you got. Let's do some. Well, you, you had touched on the gear piece and I'd got, I didn't get a chance to send you everything that John had. And I just was going over his 
there a minute ago and it's like it starts out like gear 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 what about this so uh let's jump into it why not let's do it so like we you've gone out there and from the first year you backpacked the whole i mean gone back in by with a backpack the whole time is that true yes yes so well the first year we were out chasing mule deer elk or whatever they call it the hybrid we you know um we were went to a public land and set up a base camp and then we went out from there every day we'd leave it morning come back at night but you know we had to we carried a pack the entire time this last two times was straight out of the pack we were packing up and, and moving daily so so every morning yeah. you're packing up your tents and and mm-hmm. just getting all the gear and then just going and wherever you land you just make make camp right there. and it, and it, we found initially found kind of got surrounded by elk really it was, it was a blessing but uh but also got surrounded by bear hunters too but then we just set up a tent so this is where we're going to stay and we're going to go out and if we have to we'll carry a light bag with us we had some sea to summit um, they're like emergency blankets, if you will, kind of like a little fleece sleeve that goes inside of a sleeping bag. And we said, we'll carry those and we'll suffer through the night. if we can get on a herd, but we set up like a little spike camp. It sounds like what you guys are going to be doing. Right. Right. A lot of, um, so we just left it there, left the tent there and a couple other things. It was a great night to have to carry everything every day. Um, uh, but yeah, living, living out of a pack and we were talking, you know, at, so packs are great. Every company touts the, the greatest thing. I've probably tried most of them, anywhere from a Tenzing, an Exo, a Kafaru pack, a couple different Kafaru packs, even a, I said Tenzing, Exo. I tried a Slumberjack pack. Uh, I'm right now running an Exo 3500, and I have a 5500. I just, I just got traded a guy for it. Go with what's comfortable for you because what may work for me is not going to work for you. You know, different you're, if you're taller, shorter, stockier, hips are bigger, hips are smaller, all those different things play, and different packs have different qualities. Also, when you get a pack, you want to put some weight in there and see what it feels like. So, if you have to, if you end up thankfully putting an elk quarter on your back and that hind quarter is you know 70 to 85 pounds on top of whatever gear you have if you have a not so great pack it feels good at 30 pounds but if you haven't put weight on it and see what it feels like you may be in a world of hurt by the time you get back to your truck try them all is all i can tell you uh i would usually get a pack in i'd order something just on the fly and and then i would throw i have a taped up mulch bag from lowe's it's a 50 pound bag and I would throw that in there and walk and it's like, Oh man, this thing feels, feels really good. But even with the load lifters, it's still, it's just riding really weird. And, or man, I'm starting to get a little hot spot on somewhere in, in my waist or somewhere. And, you know, like, I really don't know if I like this as much as I thought I would, you know, this might be great for someone else, but it's just not working for me. Um, that's, out there on the mountain is not the time to figure that out and say, man, I wish, really wish I had, you know, an Alps or a Badlands, or maybe I should have tried that, that, uh, whatever other company that's out there. Yeah. I mean, I did the, this, that just this, uh, this weekend, I got some, I got some new boots and threw them on and I just threw a couple of 10 pound weights in a backpack and 
ran around the, uh, just did a little hike around the lake. It was like two miles. And felt everything felt good. The backpack was terrible, but uh, it wasn't a pack. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a pack that I planned on using. It was just to put a little bit of weight on my back. And then yeah. I, my my daughter and I we went to Lowe's and bought a bag of gravel, and okay. uh, duct taped it up. And I duct taped up a one pound bag of nineteen bean soup for her pack. And <laughs> she told me last night she said we're getting our legs ready for the mountain, Daddy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know, and that's so awesome when you can get the next generation involved because they're the ones that are going to carry us through it, or they're going to be the ones that just that shut it down for us. They really are. They're they're that's the most important generation. Yeah, I mean, try them all. Almost every one of those companies have a very reputable return policy. As long as you don't have blood on it or, you know, it may say tags on it. I think I carried, I'm trying to remember what company it is, and I'm not going to say it on the podcast, but I left the tags on it. I literally was walking around with tags swinging while I was trying this thing out. And I was like, you know what? Put it right back in the box, put a return label on it. And send them back to him. Say, hey, I appreciate it, but this just isn't for me. And you know, a couple of days later, my credit card was was credited. So, you so know, that's, that's, um, everybody wants everybody to be successful. That's some good information because that's what, one of the things that you know we were talking about the packs and it's like, man, it's just I'm six three, two thirty, and so I, I'm going to need a pretty adjustable or a decent size frame. Yeah, and, you know, it's just like we're you know here in the. In Michigan, it's like there's not a whole lot of. Uh, there's yeah, not, try it before you buy it. Walk into Cabela's and there's a whole rack full of uh, elk gear. It's <laughs> right. just not there. Yeah, there's not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, try try North Carolina. It's even worse. Um, <laughs> you know, like, what do you want this big pack for? Are you gonna put that on a deer stand? No, <laughs> no, not. Um, it was going that big. I just get inside of it, but. Um, you know, like I said, all these different companies, and I can I can help you get a, a list together for like show notes and that kind of thing. Call them, it, John. Being that that tall, you're yeah, you're gonna you get a frame that's probably a 26 inch frame, I would say. And you know, not all companies make 26 inch frames. Uh, I do know that Kafaro does. There's a couple other ones out there, but yeah, trying to you trying to get one right off the shelf is going to be very challenging. Yeah. So, I mean, try them all. Definitely try them all and, and see what works, what doesn't work, what you like, what you don't like. Keep a little running tally and boom, before you know it, you'll find the one that fits like a glove and you're, you'll love it. You'll take it everywhere. So other things I learned, um, I've learned is if you can, if you can afford it, pack light. Pack as light as you can because ounces equal pounds and pounds equals pain. If you can afford... REI just had, I just picked this bag up from REI. It's a pound and a half, and it's a 20-degree bag. And then it zips into other sleeping bags. And But it wasn't that expensive. Definitely, yeah. You know, If you can afford, go light as much as you can. So, so that being if, said, if you, I think one of the things that I had sent you, um, one, mm-hmm. of the, one of the questions on my list, and uh, yep. it was, Let's say, because you say, well, if you can afford it and, and all of this. Um, so right now we are, you know, we're coming from, I think a lot of the people that listen to this probably uh, would be coming from a whitetail background or some sort of a, a Midwestern style hunting. So 
Mm-hmm. For myself, fortunately, I had more of a, the you know a military background and a, a bushcraft like mm-hmm. survivalist type background. So a lot of the stuff, mm-hmm. you know, water filters, uh, sleeping bags, so, some of that stuff, I already have. But so John, he's coming from a, a whitetail pack and and all right. that. And so, where would you focus your dollars? Where would you focus your time? You know, it, there's 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 time and money. Some of us have more money than time, and some of us have more time than money. So right. And so, how would you how would you prioritize as far as gear? Like, if you were going to have one, if you said this is the one thing, you know, that you cannot skimp on so far down, and then if you can afford a better, you know, maybe way down the line, if you can afford a a lighter stove or something like that, you know, but don't spend two hundred dollars on a a jet boil and have yeah a, a forty dollar pack or you know something of that right. nature. Right. So I would definitely focus on your on boots. And I'm I'm gonna say that I'm gonna guess that the implied is that you're already past the 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 bow being your part of your gear. Right. Okay, so minus that. So my next thing I would focus on is a pair of boots. Because if you it's great that you could you could endure a lot with a good pair of boots. If you don't have a good pair of boots, then you know, you start, that's your foundation. You're the, that's what's carrying you through that mountain. That's what's going to carry you in that pack, whether it be something shoddy or something nice. That's going to be it. And if your feet are wet, you know from a military background, if your feet are wet, you're miserable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, definitely a pair of boots. Uh, I was just wrote some notes down that, you know, Kinetrek, Crispy, those are all big names out west that we don't see anywhere east of Kansas. I don't even know if there's can of trick your crispies in Kansas, but those may those may be too much boot for for you for for your hunt depending on where you're going. I mean, I I'm out there in the Rockies in a pair of Solomon X Ultra X Ultra two Ds, and I have no problem going up and down those mountains. I have no problem with the load. I know people that run a solos. You can pick those up at you know an REI or a hiking store near you. I, me, but personally, I would focus on my feet because that's what's going to carry. That's my transmission for my engine. And, uh, yeah, right. if your feet are shot at the end of the day, if you're blistered up, you're not going to want to walk. <laughs> it's going to wreck the uh, hut. You can suffer. Yeah. If you, you can adjust some things on a pack if it's uncomfortable, at least to get you through it. And though, and then talking about pack, go back to packs real quick. If you can only afford like a Tenzing 2200 and that's all you can carry or else you can afford and you're comfortable with it, go for it, run with it. And the only thing I would do, it's not going to carry an elk quarter out of there. You might be able to put a back strap in there and at least get some meat going back to the truck or wherever your coolers are, your base camp or whatever. And then, you know, if you're talking about on a budget, because I know Adam, we talk budgets quite a bit is you maybe have one of those military issue rucksack frames or Alice pack frames sitting in there waiting for you with a couple of straps on it. And then you strap that on, walk back in bare frame and then strap whatever you need to, to get it back to get whatever elk meat out of there. So back to the boots, you said you were running the sound. Yep. You know, Adam's already uh-huh. got, Adam just got his, he got the, what are these? The, the Cabela's, uh, Mindel, um, mm-hmm. They're the uh, lightweight hunters. 
And I right. was looking at the, uh, there were the Solomon GTX. I think something similar to what you were what you were running. And mm-hmm. My my question was like, well, man, those look. They're more of a lighter boat. Boo, they're, you know, they're a mid height instead of Adams are pretty high. Yeah, those are mm-hmm. minor. I think an eight inch boot. So right. So, but but you do good with those. You're saying. Yeah. So the the, the X Ultra mid to GTX and the GTX at the end just means Gore Tex lined. Right. And there's a couple other acronyms they put at the end of different shoes that mean different things. But uh, yeah, I, I run. See, I was in Montana up in the mountains uh, this summer in those things. I'm all over here and I'm, I'm out in Colorado with them. This is my third year on this pair of boots. Plus, I'm, I train in them and they they're lightweight. They feel like, oh man, this isn't going to hold up, but they've they've held up tremendously and. And that, and I got recommended those from a guy who hunts elk every year, and he is a hard charging guy. Been on, he was a, a TV personality, did it all over the place. He's like, these are the ones I run with, and you know, they're not the name brand in the hunting industry, but they work. You know, um, my fiance rolled around this last year with a pair of bright green and I think yellow of solos, which the elk don't care about your feet, but that's what she wanted. Um, I would definitely, we talk about that. I would definitely pay the money for the Gore-Tex lining though, because if you get them moist, at least you can walk some of that moisture out of there and help keep your feet dry from perspiration. A friend of mine, tough charging guy, wore a pair of uh, the lower model Merrill boots. They were just a, like a high top type boot and his feet were tore up at the end of three days. I mean, he was just like, he, you could tell he was suffering through it just to make it through it. He didn't want to quit, but his, you know, when we got back, to my dad's house, he, he he's in t- he's in flip flops trying to get his feet feeling good, and sitting there rolling a tennis ball just trying to get all the cramps out of his feet. But we the other of us didn't have any problems with them, so I definitely would say spin them on the boots. So yeah, the pair I'm looking at is actually it's the Men's Quest 4D. Okay, so I have a pair of 4Ds upstairs. Great, they're just a little heavy for me. But if you I mean you're six three. 230 you said yeah yeah i would that probably wouldn't be too much boot for you i'm i'm a half i'm a half foot shorter than you and about 15 pounds lighter then that boot would be definitely heavy on me i that's about it's about what i'm gonna end up probably i mean i know they have some here at cabela's and stuff and i think they're a little bit they might be a little bit lighter than adam's new boot yeah so so you guys Adam, I think we talked before. You guys do not have an REI outdoor store there. Not, not anywhere relatively close. I think maybe Ann okay. Arbor's got one. Yeah, I don't. I think there's a Moose Jaw in uh, Grand Rapids, so maybe a half hour from here. Okay, something like that. So a lot of those places, you're hiking or out outfitter type places. That one, they have usually have great exchange pro, uh, programs. I know as, as an REI member, I've I've carried back some torn up stuff and like, no, I don't like them. And because of the membership, uh, I can just, Hey, it didn't work. I think I told you that story about the, the ones with blood on them and everything. And they were just, yeah, we'll take them back. No problem. No <laughs> questions asked. I would definitely look at those because those, we model a lot of our hunting gear when it comes to backpacking back country type gear off of what the hiking industry is doing. Right. Cause those people are spending time on the, on the, 
Appalachian Trail. They're spending time in the Smokies. They're spending time the Pacific Coast Trail, all those different places. And their tr- their gear is tried and true. They they've tested. They 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 use and abuse their stuff. Um, so that's where I would start looking at things. Make the make the trip over there. You know what works for you is not going to work for me. Right. Yeah, and so that was. I think I had talked with you about it, and I, we talked about it on the last podcast, John and I. But I'm I'm just running a a bivy sack with a a, a tarp. Um, that's going to be. I got a, a couple of. I'm working through the setups. I've set them up uh, a few times now. Um, mm-hmm. I got to get out and and sleep in them, but I'm comfortable in the bivy as it is. Uh, the tent uh, the 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 tarp pitches for me are just more of, you know, that warm and fuzzy, I guess, and to keep me more out of the rain. But Yeah, so one thing, if you're going to go with a tent, especially if you want to two or someone's listening wants to go with a tent, make sure the seams are lined, especially if you're going on a budget. Uh, we, we, took a, we took a three and a half season tent our first year, and we didn't understand tape seams versus non-tape seams. And we had a snowstorm come in on us, and you could see why, how it was not taped. And you were watching in between each stitching, the snow melting and dripping into the tent. So we, of the three and a half season tent, we felt we were in the half season that it was not designed for. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but most of them, if you go with like a, like I run a big Agnes Copper Spur Ultralight Two. It's like two pounds, two and a half pounds. One thing I did like, the, I was going to, we had bivvies. I have a bivy, one-man bivy. It's great. Um, but one thing I learned about a tent and kind of like, I'm, I'm going to soften myself up from my normal hardcore self is I'm going to use this tent. The vestibules are great. The fact that you can sit up in a tent and get dressed or eat in a snowstorm or do whatever you've got to do mm-hmm. inside that tent. You can't do that in a bivy, and not necessarily with a tarp. You could with a tarp if you pitch it just right with bungees or whatever, paracord or whatever. And but the fact you can stay inside that tent and not have to worry about whatever, whether it be snow blowing in, rain blowing in, because if you're going to Idaho, looking at terrain and looking at go hunting a couple other things for 15, you you you, there's a fairly good chance you're going to have snow. Right. Yeah, and so the, I would definitely pitches, be prepared for that. Yeah, the pitches I'm working on is um, one's fully enclosed with a, a closable door, so it's basically like a nine foot uh, equilateral triangle pyramid. Um, so, uh-huh. and I'll just put my bivy inside of there. So it's it's basically like a floorless shelter pitched with uh, a single tracking pole, and then um, the other one is kind of like it's almost fully enclosed. Uh, with the exception of one mm-hmm. little thing, but the things you're talking about sitting up and um, being able to eat in there, um, I can do all uh-huh. of that uh, just okay. with, with one trekking pole. So, right, okay. So I was just p- kind of picturing, right? Okay, it's just more like a teepee style. Yep. Um, yep. Just doing setup. it with a flat okay. tarp instead of a, you know, one that's a hundred percent designed for it. Purpose right. built. Yeah. Guess. There yeah. you go. Um, no, that that'll probably work great. Yeah, Plus, not that, not just a paracord and find a tree or something no, a little, yeah, little, little more advanced see i think i'm closer hey. i'm more of the softer side too i think i've 
<laughs> I was like, when he's talking about tarps and stuff, I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of thinking more on the lines of a tent. <laughs> True. And the great thing about a tent is if it's warm, uh, you can, if you have a rain fly that's on top of it, you can take that rain fly off and there all that heat's coming out of there and you're not getting smoked inside your tent. Um, the vestibule you can put, most of all of them have vestibules where you can put your gear to the side of you. And like I, I would lay my pack up against there, and then my bow would be between myself and the pack and the and the outside elements. Um, and none of my gear gets wet. None of my gear is full of dew when I get up in the morning, which are small things. But you know what? I can just go ahead and grab something that's not wet and cold in the first thing in the morning. It's a great feeling. <laughs> so, but it sounds like the the, the tarp TP is going to work too. Plus, the I'll say this though. Your tarp idea is dual purposed, right? Because you can always throw stuff inside the tarp and drag it if you needed to. Like if you had to go downhill with an elk quarter, you might be able to put another front shoulder in there. You normally would have to carry it and or two of them and just kind of slide it across the ground. Fairly easy. There's multiple to, multiple things you can do with a tarp. Yeah, and, so and like my my thing is that I I don't foresee myself unless. I, I guess everyone that I've spoken with has said, you know, this elk hunting is going to be your new obsession. It's going to be your cocaine. It's going to be what does it, um, you know, coming from a whitetail hunting, excited about turkey hunting. It kind of melds, you know, big animal that answers back and interaction. Oh, yeah. Um, but right now, it's like with my family and, the, you know, that sort of camping, the the single person or the two person tent has only one singular purpose. Whereas a tarp, I can at least if I get out there and I'm like, well, I wasn't in shape. It was terrible. We didn't see any animals. <laughs> John couldn't handle it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm yeah, I, I have this one man tent now that, that gets no, right. no use. So, well, yeah, true. Um, you could do that. Or if you, like I said, if you're a member of REI or some of those other, outdoor companies i think go hunt has a pretty good return policy You're like hey was it meant for me didn't like it and give it back to them and get your money back <laughs> you'd be surprised how many people test out gear that way yeah i i never would have thought about that either i mean it, i always just feel like you know, i it, buy it, stuff and i'm stuck with it no, no it's, it returns nowadays because of the way the markets are returns are the thing if a company has a great return policy I know one hunting clothing line, apparel gear, apparel that had to change their chip, their return policy. It was a restocking fee of a certain percentage, and then they realized that you know what, we're getting crushed on that alone. Hmm. So people are like, hey, I didn't, I didn't like it; it's fit too tight. It would be a certain amount just to return it back to them to say I didn't like it. So you're still out of money, and they realize, hey, you know what, this isn't working. But like I said, once again, the the the, hunt, the camping industry and hiking industry have a lot of carryover to our application. They're they're just not in there to, to kill the animal to to have that hunting experience. They're hunting photographs. They're hunting just time in the wild. So until the execution part of the mission, if you will, the operation, it's all the same. Right. So with with that uh, execution part. So for mm-hmm. for guys like us who, you know, can gut, skin, quarter, a whitetail in, in their sleep, 
what right. what are the big things that you learned the first time you were successful on your your elk hunt? Where, where does it go from there? It, it you don't pick up a hind quarter of an elk real easy like you would a whitetail. It's not like <laughs> hey, let's just go ahead and spread the legs apart and get to work. It, it doesn't work that way. That's a that's a that's a teenage kid size thing you're trying to move <laughs> and. You know, it, depending on if it's if it's been cold, say you had to pull out for the night because you lost the blood, or it's you okay? I saw it bed down, and you know, let's just have it time to expire. Let's go back in there in the morning and, and finish it off and start cutting it up. It'll be dead by then. Um, that those those joints may not move real easy. Uh, you have to you'll, you're going to learn how to you realize that yeah, an eighty pound shoulder and that's that's not including the rest of the lower leg and the hoof is not real easy to manage and move around. You're going to do it on the ground. Uh, and I was going to get to this in a minute was there's, there's a thing called the gutless method where you, I've done this with deer too. And and all it is is a huge deer, but it's, I don't know, 400% heavier than a whitetail deer where most people are hunting. And you're going to do it on the ground Use it mostly gutless methods. You're gonna have to go in there and gut it, pull all the guts and everything out. Big big gut pile that bears are gonna wander into. It's not much different. It's just on the ground, like I said. So, uh, and having a plan. One of the one of the ways one of the things I would I would throw in there is, which encompass a lot of the things we're gonna talk about, is the University of Elk Hunting. Uh, Corey Jacobson, who runs Elk101.com, has a has a course. It's an online course modules it's gone through modules and chapters and you can start and stop whenever you want to you can go back on things it's not like hey i took the course and it's over with you can go back and keep doing it over and over and over again um university of elk hunting there is a part in there about about dressing elk and you know do you if 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 the head is downhill versus uphill do you want to try to move it do you not want to try to move it how to do it the gutless method if you can't do the gutless method, you just have to get into the guts. This, this is how you do it. Also with that, you've got to consider, depending on your state, let's go back to knowing the laws, is do you have to show proof of sex? A lot of, a lot of states require proof of sex. So if you take a bull down, they want to see anatomical proof that it was a bull or it was a cow. Um, you, you have to carry that with at least your one load of meat you'll have to keep. Uh, a proof, an anatomical proof of gender. So, you know, how do you cut that out? You leave a little piece that's attached to the, to the, to the thigh or the, the hind quarter and detach it or detach the hind quarter. Just leave that little piece there showing that, yeah, this was indeed a, a bull or a cow. Uh, so what else would I would do different with dressing an elk versus a deer? It's, it's really the same because I dress most of my deer on the tailgate. It's, but you're not going to go, hey, let's go put this on a gimbal and, and, and hoist it up a tree. So, if you can, great. I'd love to see it. But um, you're, you're the man for that. <laughs> but if you can, if you can dress a whitetail on, on a tailgate, you can, you can dress it on, a, on the ground uh, with an elk. So um, what do you, uh, like in your kill kit, what, do you, what all do you bring? Do you have like a bone saw? Yeah. Do you have like a whole kit or, or – just yeah, so 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 I do have a I do have a kill kit and it's got uh, I have a set of of, of bag game bags. It's, I have five bags. 
And then I have a the Gerber. Oh, what is that? See, you got me stumped. I have to go up there and look. I got basically the scaffold system where you can remove the blades. Okay. Uh, uh, there's a couple different companies that have those out there. I like those because I don't have to keep there, and I can just take the blade off and put a new one on. I've got a, I've got 50 feet of paracord to hang bags, game bags if I need to, or if I need a set of uh, uh, lash, a pole across two trees so I can hang meat so they can air out and cool down. Uh, I've got a little bit of flagging tape just in case I'm in something thick and I need to find my way out, even though with my phone – We'll get into the phones and GPSs here in a little bit, but I can mark my location pretty much. I, mean, I can at least mark a, a, a trail going up to the trailhead or to a, a major train feature and saying, this is where – lead me back down to where my my game bags are. Uh, I wear a pair – I keep a pair of gloves, two pair of gloves in, in there. There are some things that are out there in the wild that you know, if you're sitting there and you're you just – you're working on an animal and then nature calls, well – you know, do you? It's easier to take the glove off than do anything than have to go wash your hands or anything like that. So, and plus, there's, you know, there's there's parasites that are out there. And you keep your fingers clean because I don't know, I chew my fingernails. So hygienically, I want to keep a pair of gloves on me. This <laughs> is in my kill kit. That's pretty much it, if I remember correctly. That's in my kill kit. And so when you're I mean, after so you you get done with that. What are the the temperatures at which you are worried, or what is your your time frame? You know, everything that I've read, everything that I've watched, everything that I've seen says get the hide off, get it yep up, and getting it cooled off. But then in some instances, they say, well, if it's really hot, or if we're, we ha- don't have you know enough time, or overnight. You know, keep a, a heavy gauge, fifty-five gallon drum liner. So maybe you can take some of the meat and put it in a creek or something even colder if you have to come back. So what do, what yeah, do you so have as I've, far as time frame? That you've got just over a day. Basically, if you keep it in the shade and you keep the meat in a game bag, not a pillowcase. A lot of guys will just go cheap and go buy pillowcases, but it doesn't breathe. So you're just collecting and coagulating all that hot blood in there. Let me back up. So get the so get the hide off. The hide is a blanket. Once it's kind of like a whitetail. Once you take that take that hide off, you see all that steam come off of there. If you can get the meat off the body, it'll cool down a lot faster. So hang it up in the shade, like maybe in some in some cedars or some pass. Trying to think the terrain you're going to be in. It's where it's shady. There's there's wind can get to it, and wind can just blow across it, and it will take care of itself. Yeah, you know, I've heard these things about. I know a lot of guys up in Alaska. What they'll do with a moose is put it in a 55 gallon drum liner, like a big trash bag, tie it off, maybe put it, maybe double bag it, and then they'll put it in a creek, throw rocks on it. So one, there's no scent for predators to get to, and then two, it's it's cooling down. The only thing is, is that you still got all this blood that's still draining from, from that animal that's stuck in there, and bacteria can form at that point, uh, depending on what the temperature of the water is. But if you, depending on where you're at, I mean, you're gonna, you might as well go ahead and count a whole day of going back and forth. And and there is a point where, there is a point where you have to look at if, how far am I in here, and can we realistically take this elk out of here? If you're seven miles out. 
and then all of a sudden you got to put an 80 pound hindquarter on top of your pack that already kind of feels uncomfortable or you're starting to stress after a couple of days. Am I too far out to kill this elk? Maybe I should, maybe I should pass it up because you're going to be going back. It's a 14 mile round trip. For sure. That's it's definitely that's one something, of the, to, something to think about, yeah. I guess. Jeez. You know, we, we were, we, we were actually had an encounter two years ago and watched this bull and we're, and it was just, we had this look, two of us just kind of look at each other just thinking, I don't want to carry this thing out of here. Cause this it, one, it was just a nasty, nasty draw. And we're thinking we were rolling ankles and having a hard time coming up through this thing to get here. And imagine trying to carry with all that weight going down on uh, all these different rocks and stuff. And like, uh, let's just let it go this is not worth it because if we can't get this meat out of here, we're going to feel even worse than passing it up. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's one of the things where as a whitetail hunter, I mean, the, the more I get into this, um, and we had kind of messaged back and forth earlier during uh, whitetail season, but when you start to hunt buck beds and, you know, you try and find these remote areas, you know, you think about that with a whitetail, but now, like you said, it's, four times a white tail and you're dealing with elevation and all of that. Um, yeah. I can see where uh, there's been times where it's like, well, I even just on the, the small properties that I hunt, like where I'm not going to shoot a doe here because I don't want to carry it back. And I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine it was nowhere near yeah. five miles, seven yeah. miles, anything like that. We're so. dragging them though. So, right. <laughs> Yeah. But. Yeah, and you're dragging or you know you get you can get access to a four-wheeler or a tractor or something like if you needed to or drive your truck closer to you where if you're 6 7 miles back, mm, that's a long haul. That's a really long haul. Anyway, so yeah, so let me go back to my notes too. Well, I got something that we talked about on the last podcast a little bit and I have sure. uh since um researched a little bit more, but I know it weighs heavy on John's mind is uh and you had sent us your your gear list and it was it was pretty complete um but is nutrition and food um <laughs> absolutely as far as um uh, calories per day weight you know calories per ounce um that sort of that that sort of mentality I, i've already got an idea of like a trial run uh, mm-hmm. For us, like I was telling you before, and everybody that listens to this has heard, you know, we're doing the total archery challenge. Last year, first year we did it, and I only did it for Saturday. Um, elevation here in Michigan, not not anything compared uh, to what we're going to do out there. But we hiked the ski resort here and shot mm-hmm. um, the the course. From we stepped on the course at nine thirty, and got back to the condo uh, with only water in between um, at about at about five thirty. Um, so it was a solid eight hour day of hiking and shooting. It was about ninety degrees that day, um, and so in preparation for this, I'm thinking, well, now if I'm if I'm going to plan like meals and like little high calorie snacks and lightweight stuff to put in my pack, that's going to be a really good opportunity for me to throw this stuff in there 
and eat it while I'm walking right. and in between. So, but, but what, where should we be looking at that? Or I guess, what is your, um, how, how do you set that up? So I am a guy who loves to eat and <laughs> if I don't, I get hangry. So ideally you want to start at about 125 calories per ounce is what I've, I've discovered talking with other people who are wizards at this stuff and the nutritionists uh, through work and stuff is 125 calories per ounce. The probably the lightest thing out there that gets you 125 calories per ounce is a Snickers bar. I can deal uh, with that. That's <laughs> that's ideal. And, and this last year, that's what I had for like a late, like an early lunch was a Snickers bar. And then about three o'clock in the afternoon was another Snickers bar. Probably not the smartest thing in the world. There's, you know, you got to look at mountain house meals. Back backcountry pantry is kind of like a mountain house meal. It's a dehydrated meal. You boil water, put it in there, zip it, wait five six minutes, and voila, great meal. Talking about this is a, this is a really good time to be having this discussion because there's you know there's all these subscription boxes that are out there. Well, there's one that's coming out uh, called Backcountry Fuel Box, and it's ran by a guy named Cody Rich. And each 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 month he's going to send you a box about. I think he said sixty, seventy dollars worth of worth of food in there, and it may be RX bars. It may, it could be some more well-known companies, and it's there's some of those startup companies or lesser-known companies trying to get their stuff out there. Uh, like I said, backcountry fuel box, and actually, uh, Cody said, "Hey, if we, if I can, I'm gonna go ahead and plug in. Here's if you put in TRO, there will be a coupon code towards your subscription." And that's a great way to look at different things that are out there because, you know, if you go – you just walk into Academy Sports or you walk into wherever and go, hmm, yeah, I'll probably take some of those and I'll take some of those and I'll take some of those. Well, you get them home and it's just like, wow, that that tasted like cardboard. <laughs> now, if you're five days into it and you, you want that morale booster, that cardboard is not going to help you in one bit. <laughs> it's just going to crush your soul. Um, so that's a great way to – to start getting a monthly box in and trying things you like, you don't like taking note, maybe come up with a couple of different things and you realize, you know, or you're looking at, you know, what are your sensitivities? Do you have a gluten issue? Do you have, you know, is somebody, maybe someone's diabetic, but this thing works for them. It doesn't spike their insulin too bad, but it gives them the calories they need, the sugar they need without setting them off. Uh, definitely would be a good thing. Uh, so my fiance last year did a, she's a wizard. She came up with a chart with a bunch of different, from cliff bars to ramen, different ramen noodles to mountain house meals. Oh, what else did she put in there? All these different major food companies that people think about when they're going hiking or camping and that kind of thing. And she made an Excel spreadsheet. So you can click on what you want. And it'll tell you at the end of it how many calories you're going to have if you eat all that. And then it'll tell you how many ca- how many calories per ounce that you're averaging. Hmm. Um, I had these little cliff or some type of little chewy, high-energy, power-gooey things, whatever they were. I was like, oh, this would work great. Then you get to looking at it and you're thinking, that's only 40 calories per ounce. And these little gooey, gooey things are really – after a while, they get heavy. And you're thinking, I don't. Even, this is junk. I shouldn't be carrying this. 
it's not going to give me the nutrition I need to keep me fueling. It may help someone who's on a long run or a one day event, but you're six days into it. You, you're going to definitely need those calories. Yeah, I was just talking um, with my wife about that a little bit because I can tell, um, and I guess I think maybe like my mindset is changing, uh-huh. um, but not necessarily with f- food, but with water, 100%. Um, when I run, depending on if I've, if I'm adequately hydrated. So most times, uh, if I'm going to work out the night before, I'll, I'll make sure to drink you know, an adequate amount of water and mm-hmm. I feel a hundred percent better, um, than like say today where I just didn't drink any water and drank soda right. and garbage and things like that. And then I get to the gym and it's like, I just, I can't even imagine. And so you had mentioned before, yeah. you know, with, uh, tracking your calories with, uh, a smart watch or, or something like that, where if you do go mm-hmm. two or three extra miles and then you expended extra calories, something I never would have ever uh, thought of. So how, what do you do in, in that sort of situation? So let's say you bank on, you know, 5,000 calories a day or, or whatever you have in your, your meals. And then you, you do that. Um, do you have extra or do you just have like say five days worth of food and then you steal from this one and say, well, the last day we're leaving anyways, or, or, I mean, how do you, how do you mitigate that? So I always carry an extra feet. A lot of guys call them feed sacks. So you'll have a, like me, I carry a gallon Ziploc bag that has all my meals for the day in it. And so I know that, you know, this is Tuesday. I don't necessarily say it's Tuesday, but it'll have different things in there. So it may be chicken and rice and then two a Snickers bar, a cliff bar, a, uh, another meal or whatever and that's all for the day plus my coffee's in there a little instant coffee thing uh i may have a like a little sweetener thing just to add flavor to my water because you're gonna drink a ton of water while you're out there. there's coke machines there's a circle k to stop by and get the big gulp or whatever so and sometimes water just gets old you're just like ah, i need some flavor so um I always carry extra just because I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to get in that situation. Plus I always carry that, that last feed bag, if you will, or food sack is at the very bottom of my bag. And so it's not really, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind in the case that what happens if we get out here and we get stranded in the sense that, you know, we break an axle on the truck or we, we get snowed in longer than we thought we're going to. And now what, now we're all hungry and, so that's how I mitigate that piece. I always, especially towards the beginning, I eat less than I than I should. I think that's just a you know what I'll save it for later. I'm good. I'll work on that. I'll use that adrenaline and that that food store I have inside of me kind of get me through the first couple of days. Then it kind of mellows out, and then I'm going. I'm good to go. Hope that answers your question. Well, yeah, I, I mean, mitigate it. Like I say, for for us again, it's like I. And I think it's like the old white tail adage, but the, I think every all day sit I've ever been on, all the food's gone at, you know, one <laughs> o'clock and you're like, oh, yeah, this is, this is, yeah. what am I going to do? So trying to, you know, keep that at bay for, you know, five or seven days, whatever. I think one of the, I mean, <laughs> we're sitting in the stand white tail hunting here, 
you just get bored and you're just like, oh, what else do I got in my pack? But if we're going to be out walking, yeah, it's going to be a little bit, I mean, hopefully a little yeah. different. You're not going to be and, thinking and, about it. And you, and part of it, you'll realize, you won't realize how fast a day will go by because you're moving, you're seeing different things. You you know, each drainage looks a little different than the next. And, you know, you may come across some bears and you're sitting there watching bears do their thing or some, some cats or do whatever. And before you know it, an hour's gone by, and you're thinking, "Oh man, you know, it's like a kid playing on, you know, Candy Crush or whatever." You just realize, <laughs> "Wow, where did all that time go?" And you kind of, I, for me, some guy who's definitely food driven, I swear I was a dog in the last life. But <laughs> but you realize, "Wow, it's already five o'clock. It's six o'clock." And see, so being that high latitude wise in Idaho, yeah, your days are going to be. It'll be kind of long still. So before you know it, boom, you're done. And then uh, one thing I did, and I, I'll, I'll, you know, I will, if you put my contact info in the show notes or whatever, I'll, I definitely will share out that chart that people can use. They can pilfer it. It's not copyrighted. If you want to add to it, great. And I'll take – I have the smart – so my – I have a, a, a fit, uh, Fitbit for that first year. And so I got to track all my calories, the steps, the miles, elevation change. I don't think it had elevation. Maybe it did have elevation change on that model, but I took screen captures every day off my phone and I could see how many miles we walked, how many calories I burned, how many steps I took. And then the great thing about that first time we were going back to the truck every night. So it was like, Oh, you know what? I only took 5,000 calories worth of stuff. Today, I expended 8,000 calories. Well, first thing it tells me is I need to go ahead and pump up for pump up my dinner a little bit because I need that I need that that food in there to help my body recover. And then know that you know what tomorrow, if we're going to do this kind of the same thing, I need to go grab a couple a couple more things out of the box and it's to sit in the bed of the truck. So that was a luxury we did have, but you can you, people can use that as a as a kind of a baseline if they want to. I'm not, a, I'm no Cameron Haynes. I'm not in phenomenal <laughs> shape. <laughs> Running 200 Nor do miles. I. <laughs> no kidding. I got other things to do. So, <laughs> like eat some Snickers uh, bars. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's some other things that are out there and, you know, and, and, and it's, it, it's what they're called. So for, forgive me. It's, it, they're called butthole sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. I was telling and these what guys they are. Them. Yeah, so it's it's a sliced bagel, and you put uh, a slice of bacon on there. You put peanut butter and honey, mash it together, put it in a food saver bag. And when you pull it off the food saver, just look at it, and it will, you'll understand why it's called that. <laughs> it's very lightweight. It's a bagel. It's full of calories. You get some, some fat in there from the bacon, plus who doesn't like bacon? And you know all the sugar from the honey and the peanut butter, you're, you're – You've got a huge food source right there to go off of. You throw a couple of those in a small, you know, in a lid of a pack or whatever as a snack. Those are great too. Yeah, Adam's gonna look in my pack. And be like, what? It's a it's a whole pack of buttholes. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. I mean, it goes good with tag soup. I can tell you that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but you know, there's guys that still go out there, especially younger guys. Like, I'm just gonna grab a couple cans of beanie weenies or in some. Spaghettios and carrying those up the mountain. That's great when you're 25 years old. When you hit 40, that is not going to be the way to go. Yeah. Well, so you guys definitely be smarter about it. 
before when we talked, I don't remember who you had said, but one of the things that made me think of John, because it's funny, it's we, John and I are very different. I eat garbage and drink soda and all sorts of stuff, and John tries uh-huh. to like be on the healthier side of you know I got to do this. I, I, the first time we uh, really hunted together, he drove to Ohio and he's pulling out all these healthy snacks and he's telling me all these things that he eats and I'm like, yeah, I, that, I've, I've got Snickers bars and all sorts of <laughs> other trash. Yeah. But um, you were saying about people who actually would make a lasagna or something, cut it up into pieces, oh, yeah. and then uh, and so I, I thought that was a interesting like yeah talking absolutely. point. So. So Randy Newberg, um, he came up with this idea. I don't know if he came up with it, but that he's he's the first person I heard about this, so he gets credit for it. Is that he would make like a lasagna, his wife would or he would, or they would make this lasagna and then they would cut it up into serving portions, and then you know lasagna fills anybody up, and the longer you let it sit, the better it tastes. So great, let's we've set that 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 stage. Then he would he would food savor individual servings of it and then f- put it in the freezer. And so when he would carry when he would get ready to go out, he would have these different meals, whether it be a lasagna or a spaghetti bake or all these other these different foods. You can come up with a myriad of things. In one, it's frozen, so it's it's helping keep that cooler cold. So if you've got things in the cooler, you know, drinks or whatever, for when you come back to the base camp it stays cold, but it's in a food saver bag. And what he would do is they get in, they put a pot of water on and start boiling it immediately. And then he would just, they would just reach in the cooler and grab one, one of those meals. When the water's boiling, they would throw it. They would just toss it in the pot, keep doing what they're doing. A few minutes later, well, that bag is now, everything in there is, is now cooked or brought back out from freezing. And then he would just tear the bag open and eat it out of the bag and then put that bag in their trash bag and then wherever they were hanging it, keep away from bears. But it was instantly a, a home cooked meal. It's none of this processed stuff as far as like a mountain house meal or backcountry pantry. Uh, but it would just be a, a good morale booster of having something that actually tasted like home, as opposed to just another MRE or or dehydrated meal. Yeah, like I say, I I automatically thought of John because I was like, you know. <laughs> Well, I, I'm a I'm a picky eater, but I eat I can mm-hmm. eat a bunch of really bad things. I can eat spaghettios or like whatever. It's like ah, you know, oh yeah, you're gonna. I can I I love Raymond noodles. <laughs> I, I I do. I eat all the crap too. I just I'm I'm a lot older than you, so yeah. I need to watch kind of what I eat. It starts <laughs> when you get older. You definitely start feeling the effects of it afterwards. Like man, that tasted great, but now I now I feel horrible right i just feel i feel run down and just kind of like Ugh, i don't want to you know what, what was i thinking it was good at the time but man am i paying for it yes. so go take a nap <laughs> right and it, that's one of the things like like i said like the backcountry fuel box that's going to be great for people to try different things out and there may be something out there you pick up at a, at a store or at walmart or whatever I think Walmart now carries Mountain House meals. And you really get it home, and you cook it, and you realize, oof, that didn't agree with my stomach very well. That's not a good time to find out that you know chicken and rice doesn't taste good or yeah, doesn't right. do good with your body. You got three days worth of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, definitely, definitely. You try them all out and see how you like them. It's 
it's worth it. It's worth the, the adventure. I mean, kids will get off. They're like, oh, this is so cool. You know, we're having this cool camping food at, at the table or whatever. It's it's worth trying out. Well, Definitely. Well, that's funny because, like, before I came over here, John and I would watch. He got me into watching the, the Born and Raised. So I watched all that. And mm-hmm. one of the things I took away was they had the bagel sandwiches, but then Cody would have the – he just did tortillas. And so my daughter and I were eating tortillas, peanut butter, and honey. I didn't have any bacon. And uh, right. she, she loves it. She's like, well, can I just hold on to this? I just hold on to this day. I'm like, no, no, we're just yeah. going to eat this. But it's all about trying it ahead of time. And so that's, again, one of the things that I'm trying to do. And, you know, the reason I want to get as much information as possible is because I, the last thing I want, I've been in, you know, I've, I've been away from like support or, I mean, having even being served whatever the military food is in the field. Um, right. You know, this is about the last thing that you want. You know, right. you can, you can stomach it for a, a certain amount of time, but to, so being able to figure out what works, what works for you, what's packable. Um, yeah. And, and so, like I say, I, I'm just trying to figure out what, what's going to work for me and then how can I implement it? And so, you know, right. as a snack at home, you know, if I can eat it as a snack at home when I have all these other choices, well, and heck yeah, it's going to be a great, it's going to be a great thing for me. Um, and if I yeah, have to so, choke it down here, it, maybe it's not the best idea. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, at the same time, you probably won't be eating kale chips the whole time. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to check the, the, the calories per ounce on those. <laughs> yeah, it, you go, it takes a lot of kale chips to make an ounce. I can tell you that. Um, so, oh, going back to to the gear piece, one thing was on things that I wish I'd known the first time, and I was told about this right before I left, and I thought this is going to be stupid, but I'll, I'll I'll go with the advice it's given me. Carry two headlamps. Always have two headlamps, and then a, a pair of gaiters. If you can wear a pair of gaiters on your on your legs. Um, people don't know about gaiters that go around your, around your lower leg, usually cover over the laces of your boots. And you usually have a strap that goes underneath to hold it on there. It, those things are wonders. Those things are miracles when they, when you're out there in the country, because if you're in scrub oaks, you're walking through a dewy meadow in the mornings. Um, your lower legs are not getting wet. If your lower legs aren't getting wet, then your top of your socks aren't getting wet, which aren't going down and feeding into your boot, which is keeping you a lot happier than you would be than just walking through wet dew all morning and all those little scrub oaks. And just think about if you've walked through a lot of the woods, you get those little scrub oaks or, or saplings and, and unavoidably you'll get one, catch your shoestring, trip you up or pulls a shoestring out. And then you've got this little tail and then you got to retie your shoes and keep going. The gators are phenomenal. Um, I run a pair of outdoor research ones. I don't think I have the Gore-Tex line ones. They're not that expensive. Different companies make gators. Those were, like I said, I wasn't sure about getting them. And then I was like, okay, I'll carry them. I can always return them when I get back. And I was like, this guy does what he's talking about. And we wore gators all day, every day. And before you knew it, we didn't realize we had them on. And you, you will, you know, it, plus you don't get snags in your pants, get little, little holes or tears. Everything just brushes around them and it's just phenomenal. 
Now, and speak- then a little, huh? I was just say, you know, speaking of feet and you know that kind of stuff. Do you do you bring like a pair of flip flops or Crocs or anything for walk around? You know, like when you get back to camp. Because I've seen some yes. people do that. Yep, a pair of Crocs in the back of your back of your pack are phenomenal. When you get you get back to base camp, plus who wants to put their boots on in the middle of the night if you got to go outside the tent? <laughs> right. You know, that's the last thing you want to do. You just slip a pair of Crocs on go do your thing, come back, or or if you're just going to, you know, let's just say something a little cooler, like a, like a meteor shower. You'd rather be in Crocs and sit there and put my, my sockless feet or have to put a pair of sweaty socks back on, just slide my boots on. Yeah, flip-flops would, would do great in camp. I just wouldn't get the cheap ones because the little, the part that goes between the toes and goes to the pad, those have a tendency in the backcountry to pop out or, or get damage real quick and then you've just got a flip and no flop so <laughs> crocs work really good plus a croc if you want to you can always take them off and put your feet in a creek bed or there's a myriad of things you can do to just make your those are small things you can do to make your life so much better when you're out there um so friends of mine it, it's called uh i think we pack fish up gear here is Oh, so some friends of mine at Pure Elevation Productions or Pure Elevation Outdoors, they have a YouTube page and they have a series called What's in My Pack. And each member has basically a bag dump and it shows you, it talks about every piece of equipment, why they have it or why they have it. Now, some of those things are sponsored things like Jetboil. I personally wouldn't go out and get a Jetboil because those things are super expensive when my little MSR stove cranks on the same fuel can and is a lot lighter, a lot smaller. And plus the little container, I can put a, a lighter inside of it along with the stove. It just slides right. It's just enough room for me to put a small white Bic lighter and slide it in there and then put the cap on it and throw it in my bag and I'm good to go. But look at kind of what they, what they carry around in their gear. Everybody's a little bit different. Uh, Randy Newberg has a, a a bunch of YouTube videos on bag dumps and he'll talk like, Hey, this is what I carry during rifle season. This is what I carry during archery season. This is what I carry late rifle season. And he'll tell you the things that stay in those packs, no matter what. Those are some great resources for tip for, uh, for gear. A lot of these things I discovered until I got back and I was like, Oh man. Yeah. That's why, that's why we're doing this now. Now with the gator piece, you said, uh, when, when we had talked before, um, you had another, um, you had like some hack for the, for the gators also. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's a hack. This, this young lady showed me at REI was there's a, they usually have a little thin strap that go underneath the arch of the boot between the heel and the main part of the boot. And I don't know what that piece is called, but, um, that goes around and the straps, it, it buckles in to hold the gator down. What she told me, and it worked great, was to take a piece of quarter inch or half inch nylon that's tubular and, and cut you a little piece, you know, three, four inches long and slide that through there. Because those little straps, especially on rocks, they'll wear out really quick. And there's, it's not like you can just go get another strap. You have to buy a whole new gator. My gators have three years of use on them. And the nylon, yeah, it's a little frayed, but it's nowhere near damaged. It's nowhere near needing to be replaced. 
um, I can send you some pictures if you want to throw this up on your on your web page or whatever. What the heck, it, like just the, you just slide it. You just it's nylon. It's tubular nylon. Just slide it on, and then leave you enough to to buckle your your gator on there. And then when you're talking about that, uh, you, we talked about boots and feet and all that. What are you running mm-hmm. for socks? I got to imagine there's some sort of merino socks. And then how many pairs of socks are you bringing? So I am um, man. That's one thing I don't skimp on is either is is socks. Anything with my feet. Uh, I, I wear smart wools, and I, I wear smart wool socks. Just the just the thinner ones, just because it's not. I have to worry about cold. They are wool. They I, I can. Uh, that's another thing I always carry one extra of is a pair of socks for sure. Nothing like a nice pair of a dry pair of socks in the morning to put on. I've, you know, some guys can run two or three days on a pair of socks. I can't. I don't want to. I no longer have to. I gave up that lifestyle. So, um, if I can wear a pair of nice, nicer socks, smart wool. Trying to think. Yeah, there's different out outlets for for smart wool. Um, Darn tough or another great pair of socks. First light makes a pretty good mountain sock. With with got built-in compression in there to help you with reduce fatigue. All these are wool based. Yeah, yes. that, that seems to be the right. I was looking at the uh, first light has the I think it's called the Triad. I was looking at that and then it's twenty bucks for a pair of socks. So. Yeah, I think the, I was looking at the Darn Tufts. They're about twenty-seven bucks a pair, and uh, my brother uses yeah. them for hiking. And but the thing about the Darn Tufts is they have a lifetime unconditional warranty. So get a hole in them, send them mm-hmm. back. Um, so I mean I guess yeah it's definitely buy once and I mean you got a pair yeah. of socks for life so yeah why not why not um, I'm trying to think I'm trying to remember what smart wools I have well John just looks them I, up I run... uh, they're, they're seven dollars nineteen cents so I might be looking at uh, one pair of darn tough and a bunch of <laughs> smart wool but uh... they're great I mean I've worn them all over uh, I love. I love them. I've worn them all over, all over the world, literally. And I, I haven't looked back. I've tried. There's another company. It's fairly new called Farm Defeat. And they organic are. Organic socks? It's a pretty. <laughs> I don't know if they're organic or not, but it <laughs> sounds uh, organic. It does sound organic. You know, there's like, you know, farm farm to plate and all those other things. But it's, they're, they're really good. They're a really good, uh, good sock, too. But my go-to is, is always been is the last I don't know how many years has been smart wool. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about them. I was telling John earlier, um, as far as like our base layers and things that I'm looking at, I know that basically First Light makes amazing uh, merino wool products, um, and I told him mm-hmm. I said I'm going to look at those and um, the smart wool because in the I guess non-hunting sector. Um, smart wool is one of the good, uh, better brands as far as what people are running. And so I'm just going to kind of look yeah. at those two and, and, and kind of compare. So, yeah, I've got friends in, in one of their competitors. So I'm probably going to get chastised for a while, but first light's phenomenal where they, as I understand their start was basically, they took stuff like smart wool and REI Merino wool and other, other of these hiking bright colored merino wool designs and said this is something great and they would just carry camouflage like a camo jacket on top of it to kind of blend in and 
then they realize, why don't we just start making our own? And I can tell you, another one of those things for your, for your podcast, great, you know, buckle in, is <laughs> their, their boxers are phenomenal. Um, if I, this doesn't illustrate the, the quality and the great thing about Marina Wool, I'm not sure what will, is that I had the first light boxers. I wore those for three days, and I finally just said, okay, took them. And I said, I'm going to see how good these things really are. Cause I didn't feel, I, I did never felt like, Hey, these things are starting to get a little, they had that feeling like they need to be changed. I'll just leave it at that. And so I'm a dude. And so I just say after three days, I say, you know what, I'm going to try this. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a go off the deep end here and let's just try these things out. And I literally put them up to my face and they smelled like the day they came out of the bag. That's three days of running up and down mountains, and it's just phenomenal. And I thought, well, if these – if I'm hooked on merino wool right there. And then the great thing about merino wool is I never get hot in it. I never get too cold. Um, there's sometimes like if a wind comes through, you're not, there's nothing going to block that without some type of lining or a hard shell to it. But um, – yeah, definitely. Merino wool is phenomenal. Keeps the smell smell down. You know, we talk about born and raised outdoors. Trent Fisher wore the same shirt for like forty days. Yeah, he, 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 he had, had some. So he had some fun. Yeah, he had two showers like, in that whole time or something, or two baths. Yeah, and right. so if it, if if it can handle up to that, you know, but the shirt didn't really stink, minus the fact of what's in his armpits and stuff. But you know. It's a great, it's a great product. I can't say enough about merino wool when you're out there. Thermal regulating is great. So you had mentioned um, GPSing and how to yep. navigate. We're planning on phones, Onyx. I've got um, the area, the Unit 15 uh, topo map in here that we're gonna, you know, the 24 by 36 inch just to look over areas mm-hmm. that we're, we're looking at and then kind of dial it in from there. Hard map versus GPS versus just your phone. Um, I mean, with the military background, you can obviously, you know, you say, okay, well, this is that landmark and I'm going to go magnetic north, uh, deviation, two degrees, shoot a azimuth, and that's where we're going. Hey. Uh, you know your right. pace count, all of that. Uh, for a regular guy, first time, big country, you know, predators, all sorts, of, all sorts of things. You know, what are what are you doing, and then what do you recommend for you know someone who maybe isn't uh, as handy with a map and compass? Do you need to be reachable from the outside? That's my first question. Do you need to be reachable? Are you running a business that requires you to make answers? You know, like. Every night I got to sit down and at least spend 20 minutes and at least do some type of work, get answers back out to customers. Are you in that situation or can you go four, five, six days and be okay? Now your wife's probably going to be nervous and worrying. Hey, I haven't heard from him. Is he okay? Is he eating my grizzly bear? Did, did he get swallowed up by a chupacabra? Did, did the Yeti get a hold of him? What happened? You know, your family's all going to have those ideas. So do you need to have a, something to get back to the outside. So, um, 
Well, I mean, our, our families are, are one thing, but our podcast audience, I mean, we're constantly answering emails and, <laughs> right. and all of that. So, so, so maybe, you look, maybe, maybe you need to look into the, well, like a hybrid type situation. Um, but, you know, GPSs are great, but I think they're kind of going the way of the dodo bird nowadays because smartphones are replacing them. Uh, this is, you'll see this in a lot of forums, a lot of Facebook pages. They're like, hey, what about this kind of GPS? Or would you recommend Go with your, you, almost everybody already has a smartphone. It has a GPS built into it. If you don't believe me, put it on airplane mode and get some of these, after you get some of these mapping programs, put it in airplane mode and, and drive down the road and watch the little blue dot keep moving down the map. And you're thinking, it's an airplane mode. It's not supposed to be transmitting. It is. You've got a GPS that's already in there. So why, not, why carry two pieces of kit? My first year, I ran a, a 650, a Garmin 650 with a chip in there, and also had a redundancy of my phone, and hardly ever turned that, that Garmin on, and just used my phone. Didn't realize, didn't really trust it and understand it until I started. I got in there and I was kind of like, okay, this really does work, and that's all about testing your equipment before you go out. Anyway, if you got Onyx maps. I would I wouldn't even carry a Garmin, but if you need to get out into the world, do you need to make a lot of text messages? Um, you know, you may need a Delorme or an Enreach, which those have GPSs built into them as well, but they tether to your phone, kind of like a Bluetooth will or some other type of device will. They'll they will they'll tether to your phone, and basically, it's using you're you're sitting there texting, getting and receiving messages. But you're using the satellite, the GPS antenna off the Delorme or the Enreach to hit their satellite and send back. You're not going to send a dissertation back, but you're going to send some messages back. Another thing, depending on your situation, there's a thing called the Spot. It's their, I think they're orange or red, and they're a little two, three inch by three inch thing. My brother carries one, and it, based on the button combination you push, it you will send out to a predetermined list of people your location, and then it will send out, I'm okay, or I need help, or something to that effect. Uh, there's only a couple different options you can, with the with the spot, that's what it's called, the spot. It'll send your location so they can track you on Google Earth and know exactly where you're at. And so, you know, if you're out every day at 6 p.m., you say, this is going to be my time to send my family to know, that, hey, I'm okay, I'm safe. I'm safe. I was just going to say, do you, do you have experience with the inReach or, or anything like that? Because I've not, it's not something, again, that you, as a Midwestern whitetail hunter, that you would ever deal with. Um, so, how much experience do you have with either of those? Either? I've played a little bit with, with, a, with a Delorme, and they're basically the same thing. It's just a communication device that has a GPS built into it. And it tethers to your phone. You just basically like you would connect to your, uh, like your via Bluetooth to, I don't know, a Bluetooth speaker in your house or outside or whatever. Same kind of thing. And you would send a message. So you type the message up, push send. It sends from the phone to the Delorme. And then Delorme sends it out via their satellite system. And it comes back down to that person. It's a really weird connectivity thing. But you can sit there and and do multiple messages. You can be specific of what you want to say, not just "Hey, we're safe," or you know, "There's there's bears in these woods" or whatever. Personally, if you can get away with a smartphone, 
and just run a smartphone with, you know, on X or run, I use a program called topo maps. It's, it's like three bucks on, on the Apple store. I'm sure it's the same thing on Google play and you download each topographical map that you want. So you have a big grid across the United States. You start zooming down, zooming down, zooming down, and then you hold, you know, ask you, do you want to download the map? Now I'm going to tell on myself, I have tried that at about 35,000 feet with my phone at the window just to see if it would, in no kidding, I watched myself travel across the United States with no cell phone service. I'm way above the towers and it just using the GPS and the phone and topo maps. I was taking pictures of screen captures of me like over Salt Lake city flying into flying into sisters, Oregon and a couple other places along the way. It does work. Same thing with Onyx, as long as you've downloaded the maps prior to. So if you don't need to send a message out, why? That's your time to hunt. That's that's your time connecting with nature. Now, are you? Is what about the um, like the hard, like tangible map piece? I always keep one folded up in a Ziploc bag at the bottom of my bag. But for the most part, I've already programmed where I want to go. It's through like Google Earth, or and then I'll transfer that main. Like for topo maps, I can just mainly I have to mainly go in and put my points of interest, and I just train associate. Kind of like okay, I, w- I want to go from here to here, and you know I, I can see that there's a trailhead, a trail that goes that way, or hey, I'm, a, I'm gonna follow this as long as I'm a, I got the cliff on my right side, I'm good, and just train associate that way. I'm not really a shoot an azimuth. This this azimuth at this many this many kilometers will get me where I want to go. I just kind of train associate and go with it. Okay, I mean, I guess I'm just thinking of like, all right, we're out there; it's our first time. We're super excited. We shoot elk, and now we get through the whole, you know, quartering it up, all that stuff. You've mm-hmm. got all this crap laying all over. All your, you know, it's a it's a yard sale out there. You're picking up all your stuff. You're taking pictures and you're halfway back. You get to the end of your flags and then you, where's your phone? You know, that just or, that. Or where's of, your GPS? Where's your GPS? Yeah. My GPS is somewhere up in the UP <laughs> on the ground. See, so, yeah. So, so my, G, my, my GPS that I, I would, I would carry as a redundancy now is D ringed inside my pack and it does not come off. There's certain things that are just dummy corded down. And that do not come out of my pack and do not come off or they may come out, but they never leave that in the line bowling piece of paracord that it's, it's not coming. It's not coming untied. I will not untie it for any reason. That would be one of those things because if for some reason my phone goes flying off a cliff or hits a rock and the screens cat shattered, I at least have a GPS that's backed up. That's D ringed within hand reach. <laughs> so, you know, but if you get two phones, what's the what's the probability that two smartphones are going to have the screens shattered? Especially if you have like a life-proof click case or one of those other type cases. I mean, you're probably not going to have that issue. What about uh, but, battery stuff? Uh, so your batteries. Charging. Yeah. So I keep. I got this. I had a twenty thousand milliamp battery pack, and the thing was a brick, literally. But I could charge everybody's phones like six times with that thing. Um, with if you run a smartphone with the 
in 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 airplane mode and doing your doing your map thing, as long as you don't sit there and hold it open the entire time while you're walking all day long, you'll go three or four days without needing to charge your phone. You're not going to be on Facebook out there. You're not going to be doing Instagramming. Uh, not going to be probably Google, not going to be Googling. Where's the yeah, elk? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not going to sit there and download the new Beyonce album if she even has one. I'm not sure who that is, but um, you're not going to be doing those things. So, I mean, the most you can do is maybe get a message here and there if you get a little bit of service. But if you got no service and you're running airplane mode, that any smartphone should last you three or four days. And then I carried like a, I think I picked up a 7,500 milliamp battery at CVS of all places for like six bucks. And that thing was phenomenal. It was light. It was. It weighed about as much as an iPhone six. And I don't can't, I don't even know how many times I charge stuff up with that thing, and it never went dead on me. You know, do you need a Goal Zero solar charger? Probably not. As long as you guys are conservative with your stuff, then you should be fine. And then after three or four days, you're probably going to be back at your truck or back to a base camp somewhere. And that's when I would just pull up, have my box of other stuff of, of a bigger milliamp charger or what have you okay and so well, i guess we're going to be trying to do um a little bit of filming or, or like whatever i guess what is your experience with that and that battery piece as well very little and i would say i would i would test your equipment i would run it quite a bit during the day and then see how long you can get you can get uh, how long does that battery last when you're constantly filming? Whether you're doing, you know, between photo and video, I would definitely run that thing, and then I would see if your milliamp charger, if your if your power bank, if you will, will has enough juice to charge that plus your phone, if you're going to use that or your GPS, okay. and then go back and forth. Like we talked about before, like I did a, I took cans of fuel for my st- for my stove, and I boiled it. I saw I, I would put cold water in, in my little trail cup at I think two cups at a time and turn the stove on, fired it up, got it all up to a rolling boil, let that boil for about twenty seconds, and then I would shut it off. And then I would dump the water out, wash my, my trail cup off, put new cold water back into it, and repeat the process over and over and over again until the fuel can emptied. And that's just one of the things you need to do with your batteries is run them and what you think you're going to do. And then realize you're probably going to be a little cooler, especially in the mornings and the evenings. They're going to be a little cooler than what you have there. And then see, hey, do we have enough milliamp? Is our power bank going to do what we need to do? Or do we just need to bring six batteries with us for that camera? Or do we need a solar charger like a Goal Zero or something like that? Yeah. You can just strap it, you know, strap it to your back, running to the charger to to uh, recharge your batteries. Yeah, and I, you know that I guess kind of plays into the whole, you know, we're getting ready six months ahead of time or or whatever, whatever it is, but you know we're getting right into turkey season, and so we can f- try and film all day and and figure out what it is, and then going back to that survivalist mentality yeah. type thing is like i've got a gold zero so <laughs> it's like you know i I didn't have to go out and buy one 
And so right, it's okay. just going to be a man- great. It's going to be a management, uh, a weight management uh, issue. Is you know where where am I at? Um, you know, by the time I get all the necessities, and it's going to be well. Do I want to bring this or or not? I tend to be the guy that I'm. I'm the meme where the guy's got everything in his pack. Yeah, because it's two is one, one is none type thing, and then all the redundancies of. Well, I'd rather have a tarp because I can use it for these fifteen things instead of yeah, you know. So, so yeah, it, I I can totally see that, but that 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 makes total sense. As far yeah, as I mean, ahead of time figuring it out. So I mean, yeah, I definitely need to do that because I, I just while we we're talking, I looked at yeah, I can get fifteen fifteen times I can boil two cups of water from ice cold. On one can of fuel, so that was great. That's because you don't that, want to get out there. Is that a, is that a hundred gram or one of the two hundred and what? No, it's a hundred gram. Okay, hundred gram. Yeah, because I so, I, mean, I went the, out and bought one of the. I, you you had we had talked about that before, and so I'm working through that process. Uh, but I bought the two hundred and thirty gram or whatever it is, the bigger one, and then yeah. I was thinking about okay, well, what if I buy a different brand? What if I buy you know, can I, can I extrapolate it to, you know, 230 got me this hundred should get me this, but, yeah. but pressures and altitude, everything's going to be slightly different, but it'll get me in the ballpark. It, I mean, at least I'll have some sort of idea. Yeah. I guess. Well, if you know that, you know, like, like it's just, I'm, I'm just using that stove as an example for your batteries. If you know right. that, you know, or, you know, if you're running a Canon Mark II or Canon G7X, how many photos or videos can I do on a battery? Can it, you know, if I'm taking a lot of photos or doing a lot of video or, you know, that's when you, that's when you start sharing the load between the two of you. So if only one guy has a camera, you know, maybe one guy's carrying the goal zero and the power bank, the other guy's carrying the extra batteries that's going to be charged later. Or, you know, you got to split it up that way. You don't want to, I think my pack was 32 pounds with everything uh, this last time. And after about day four, it's like, you know, this is starting to, this is starting to wear on me a little bit. Um, starting to get along a little, it's not as fun anymore. <laughs> you know, but I also have a background where, you know, 60, 70 pounds day in, day out, you know, walk in the middle of the night with night vision goggles on all the time. So, so, you know, it's just the balance. Remember you're there to have fun, you know, redundancy is great. That's also where you can also pare down some of that weight. You know where you know I've got a. If you've got a lighter sleeping bag, if you've got a pound and a half sleeping bag, where there's a four, four pound sleeping bag, that can make a huge difference. With what else? What else can you take? And that's that's the whole thing is figuring it out now and saying you know we're going to gather up all this stuff and see what it weighs and then figure out well what what is going to work and what's not going to work, and that that to me is the. To, to some degree, the fun part, because even going into this, you know, from the first episode with our introductions is that I'm like a gear guy. So it's like, I'll buy, I'll buy four of these. I'll buy that one. I'll buy that one. I'll buy that one and see which mm-hmm. one I like. And John's like, does all the research and says, it's that one. <laughs> and yeah, definitely. I, I'm, I'm just not like that because I'm going to buy well, that, that, five of them that backfires though quite a bit though. It's like you buy it, it's like yeah, that one it worked for them, but it's not working out for me. It's like boots and packs, you know. Right. You got to try what 
try them all. And but if you can return it, that's great. That's a lot of things I'll buy minus pack boots, other bigger gear. Um, Amazon's a great way to go because you can, if you don't like it, you throw it right back in there. No, I, they prefer you not to eat the mountain house meal and then put the empty <laughs> wrapper back in and say, this is, it wasn't what I was looking for, but you know, you do what you have to do, I guess. Um, now back, speaking of that backcountry fuel box, they do allow you to hundred percent. If you don't like it, they will send you your money back for that entire <laughs> box. So, um, he's going to kill me for saying that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every month you don't like the box, but you send me back empty wrappers. Um, but whatever. Um, Terrible once again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I try a lot of gear through Amazon and some of the others, and then I, if I don't like it, great. If I don't, I just I put it in the box and send it right back to them. I, it doesn't cost me anything. Um, I've got a bunch of gear here, too, laying around. Stuff like, I, like yeah, this is great. It's not great. Um, I, I'll keep it just in case kind of thing. Man, we've covered a lot of stuff over this time. Carry a, a white Bic lighter. My dad always told me, carry a white Bic lighter in your bag because it will glow in the dark if you drop it. I'll definitely, speaking of gear, I a would white. Al- I would also say a white GPS. <laughs> I, I'm telling dark. you. <laughs> Something like that, I, I will I'm telling you, it is it is tethered to me. It does not go if I go, it goes. Um it's kinda like sensitive items back in the new military days. It's just one of those things I'm not gonna leave it somewhere for somebody else to find. Well, and that's um, that's exactly what I was thinking about going into this is like I, I feel like the first day of uh boot camp or SOI or whatever is like Mm-hmm. How much of this stuff should I have like dummy corded to me? Because it's going to be like just the worst thing in the world to be without uh, toilet paper or you know whatever. That that <laughs> that's a good thing to have plenty of. Um, my my phone always goes in my in, in Pacific pocket. There is a mountain range that has an iPhone five on it. And someone returns it to me, I will be indebted and re- give you a reward. Uh, I don't think after three winters it's survived, though. But it, it could be wrong. Um, so my phone's definitely one of those things I'm constantly, okay, yep, I've got it. Yep, I've got it. And then um, a GPS. Because, I mean, cameras are great. Yes, they're expensive. But if you lose one, your life does not depend on it. I would definitely, a GPS would be tethered to me somehow. D-ring, a a non-slip knot like an inline bowline that goes around through the loop on it. Whatever you got to do, that's definitely one of those things I would keep dummy corded down to me. Anything anything's going to save your life. It's like I have to – if everything goes – this whole thing goes to pot, I have this. I, I can get back home. That's what I would That's what I would dummy cord. So not to switch up, but we, didn't, we, yeah, haven't, no, we haven't talked about like uh, glass or binos. Do you uh, mm-hmm. do you carry a spotting scope or just binos or what? what do so, you... so where I go, I we had a spotting scope my, our first year, and I could see everything that spotting scope could see. I have a pair of ten by forty two Bushnell XLTs, and they're they, oh they got the cool bone collector stamp on them. Got those for Christmas a couple years ago, and 
I've set those right next to Vortex. Vortex were a little bit nicer, but for where I was at, I, I could see all the way across this canyon and glass everything else that the guy with the Vortex or Swarovskis could see. So if you're on a budget, you know, that might be the way to go is a Bushnell or some other not as cool name that's going on right now, the big hype. <laughs> um, spotting, like I say, you have to assess your situation. If you're going to a place that you're not going to have, you're not going to be glassing the prairies of Black Hills of South Dakota and looking at several drainages over, then I wouldn't carry a spotting scope. It's just dead weight. Well, I if got you're the, going, I got the Bear Grill, the uh, Bushnell Bear Grill. <laughs> Edition. Those will work. Those will <laughs> Actually, work, man. you know, I bought those uh, down in Ohio uh, at the Walmart. Uh, the pair I had, it was a, I can't remember. I think they were Nikon's or something. My old pair, and something had happened, and they were just, they were done. So I'm like, I need to have a pair. So I ran into the local Walmart, and they had one pair on the shelf, and it just happened to be the Bear Grills. And I kind of got a little heat when I got back, but. Actually, they they've actually been really really decent for. Did, I think they were a hundred bucks. You know, did, did did when you came out of Walmart, like, did you have to immediately eat something off the ground of the parking lot <laughs> to prove you're worthy, or or that no. or what? No, was, he drank his own pee. <laughs> I wasn't going there. Filtered through a rattle through, through filtered through a rattlesnake skin. He just he just killed a few minutes ago. Right. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, glass is great. Yeah, that's uh, those are that's a great topic. Is glass if you can afford Vortex or Swarovskis or Vanguards or something like that, they're great. But you know, um, just run with what you have. It, it, you, a pair of ten by forty twos at a good vantage point, you can see quite a ways, and you'll pick up movement. That's the big thing. Your first thing you pick up is that movement going in between some. Some aspens, or you'll see a you know this brown body move between something. You're like, whoa, something just moved over there. Next thing you know, you're glassing, and boom! All right, I got it. That's where that's where. Oh, it's a bunch of cows. That's what that was. Or oh, cool. You know, I, I've watched those ten by forty twos. I've seen a calf nurse its on its mom, and been just as fun, just great. Um, what I will say with glassing, going back to your camera thing, is you may want to check out something like phone scope. Yeah, we uh, we actually looked at those at the ATA, and, uh, and there's there's another company called uh, I think it's by S4 Gear. Let me go see if I have it. That's another great little digi scoping is what it's called thing to do. And you can get some phenomenal footage by putting those on a pair of glass. Matter of fact, I've got a Zoom SVS XL. I will send to you after con- make contact after this podcast. I'll send to you. You can run with it if you want i had it was a buy one get one and i don't have two phones so i automatically got another one in the mail so um this has been sitting there collecting dust so yeah you can get a lot of good great video and, and photography footage by just using your phone scope on your binos it works phenomenal you just order the phone scope base based on your phone and if your phone has a certain uh case on it like mine specific for iphone 6 with a life-proof case on it, and then you have a little adapter that goes on your eyepiece, and then you kind of—it's like a cog. You, you slide it on, rotate it, locks it in, and then flip your camera to your phone to video, and you can watch whatever. 
the cool thing I do like about it, like a phone scope or any of those digi scoping things, is that because you're in video mode, well, now you have the zoom of, of your binos or spotting scope, but now you can actually take your fingers on your screen and then zoom in even further using the video method, using the video screen. So you can get some really cool close-ups of, of elk. You know, you may see ram, depending where you're at. You, bears, watching bears play around. That's kind of cool footage. Mule deer doing their thing. So that uh, the, the, the bear, <laughs> yeah, mule deer's pooping. So you can see what, uh, what you're looking at. Yeah. But you, yeah. you started off, we, we talked about messing around with bears. So you want to, you said, well, we'll get into that later. So Yeah, yeah. so bear. Um, <laughs> so where you're at, so like you're going to Idaho, out west is full of, of a lot of black bears. You know, that's another question you need to have in mind is, for bears, is one of you going to carry a sidearm and one carry bear spray, or both of you going to carry bear spray? Are both of you going to carry a firearm, or are you both going to carry a firearm and bear spray? Those are things you, you, you might want to think about. Bear spray, and if you're having to fly, you're driving, correct? Yeah, we're going to drive. For the listeners that are tuning in, think about bear spray is you can't fly remember with it. You can't fly with it. So you bought it at the Cabela's or the whatever it is. You, when you flew into, let's say you flew into Bozeman, Montana, you went to the Shields and got you a can of bear spray. You spent fifty, sixty dollars on it. Well, guess what? That bears, that bear spray staying right there. You you can't take it home with you. I haven't done bear spray yet. What I have done is just carried a forty-five on me. And for understand, don't carry hollow points. Uh, just straight ball ammo. Yeah, you had said that, and that that was something that was odd to me, but it it makes sense, right? I mean, right? Because when the hollow point makes contact with the hide, it's going to start expanding and start losing energy. Whereas a ball ammo hits that, it just goes run, it goes rams right in through it. You're not trying to create a huge kill hole. You're just trying to take the engine block out or defeat that aggression that's coming at you. And I've seen numerous things where hollow points are not the greatest thing on bear because of that layer of fat that they have on them. Yeah, I think I plan on bringing my sidearm. When I, the, the guy that uh, I've been talking to, he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, everybody has a gun in Idaho, so don't worry about everybody, that. Everybody, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah, so he says, yeah, because yeah. bear spray, like whatever. He's like, well, there's not really any grizzlies in the range, and, you know, maybe maybe one passing through, but it's not going to be the, the that time of year. Like you said, they don't really have boundaries, however. Mm-hmm. He was saying he just uses it. He said he's never had to. The only thing he's ever had to do with a sidearm is use it to signal one of his buddies that was lost. That was it. I don't think you can do that with bear spray unless you're pretty close. <laughs> no, but if you spray your if you spray somebody else in the face, it will suddenly become a beacon of of noise coming from where you're at. So yeah, it may, and you want to try bears. If you're going to go with bear spray, you want to take one and. And practice that Joker so you know how to get get it out and spray it because there's nothing like having I would say there's probably nothing like a, a huge black bear whose cub has come in between you and and that sow because the cub's curious and she's snapping her teeth at you and making false charges and you're fumbling with a bear spray can reading the directions trying to figure it out that's not <laughs> right. the time to do it hold up wait <laughs> so yeah like whoa 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 let know. me figure this out. So, so when we're we're talking about this, have mm-hmm. you listened to 
the meat eater podcast when they talk about their grizzly bear encounter? The meat tree? No, but I've, I've had a bunch of other different, listened to a lot of different uh, encounters, and it doesn't sound like fun at well, all. Well, they were attacked by a, mm-hmm. a grizzly at their uh, elk uh, kill on a fognac island in Alaska. Uh-huh. And he it's it's drawn out into two podcasts, but it's called what is it? it's called the meat tree. The meat the tree kill, part uh, one and two. Or the hanging tree or something like that. It's the meat tree. It's the mm. meat tree. It's it's you have to listen to it. And so for for anybody who hasn't used or handled bear spray or thought about what you were going to do if you were ever to encounter a bear, this is the most I don't I don't know poignant articulate holy shit moment you know that they were attacked by a grizzly bear the was there five of them six of them or something like that and uh nobody was hurt the cameraman ended up riding the the bear down the mountain for 15 yards or so um just all on a whim uh because the because Giannis stood up and hit him in the face with his trekking poles and (laughs) It, it, they were that close. I mean, that's that's what saved him was hitting this bear in the face with trekking poles and them all being laid down and standing up. So wow, when you talk about bear spray, they go through uh, on on those two podcasts about testing it, about where you can use it and where you can't because of wind and other things. And, and yeah, I think then, they even talk about how they did spray it at one point, like afterwards, because that bear kept. And it ended up getting, getting someone sprayed. Else. Yeah, it's, the wind blew it right back in their face, and just all sorts of things. So you should you should definitely listen to that. And if anybody out there that's listening hasn't heard that, it's the Meat Eater podcast, and it's the Meat Tree One and Two, and it is probably one of the best stories that you will ever ever hear. I, I don't I, I don't know I don't know that I've ever been like on the edge of my seat more than listening to that because it's one of those things that you just cannot can't believe so with bear spray for what i understand and listen to different podcasts and stuff is that they've done these studies on, on bears and they actually get pretty used to being bear sprayed quick like as in grizzlies have been tested where the first spray is only 90 some percent effective on a bear that's great i'll take 92 93 percent effectiveness any day the second time, it, so once it's been, it, it's like it gets accustomed to it. Or is the second time is it starts dropping down? If it was your grade, you would definitely be failing a course. Um, and then the third time has minimal effect that that bear's been sprayed. So it's been sprayed three times. It just looks at it as like, wow, okay, cool. Got a little pepper on my dinner. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, you know, thanks for seasoning me up here. I'm while well, lick my lick my chip my chops at the end of this after eating you, then I'll have a little bit of seasoning here. But the thing is, bears don't walk around with a sign and say, "Oh, I've only been sprayed one time." <laughs> right? Like, oh, you know what? You don't want to mess with me. I've been sprayed five times. It doesn't do anything for me. I wish they did. You know, it's just the fact of life that it doesn't walk around with a sign saying, I'm, I, "Yeah, you'll be good the first time." You know, and then you also going back to those, you know, know your laws, know where you're going is what is if you kill a bear, do you have to bring it to a game warden? And then is there an investigation? All these different things. There's people who actually think these things through 
like with mountain lions is okay if i kill this thing you know i'd just rather deal with i'll just try to walk away from it which you should if i kill this mountain lion in defense or this bear this tight bear in defense i'm gonna have a court date i'm gonna have all these other things you know is it my my life versus needing a lawyer right it's gonna be a shit show because most of those states out there they don't take it like lightly no they're gonna be going to court and uh, we actually have my friend who lives out there in Montana. We were talking about all this, and he had one of the people that they know got attacked, and they ended up, they had to hire attorneys, and then mm-hmm. uh, they had shot it. And then in the attempt of shooting the bear, ended up hitting the other person because they were so close. And then they ended up trying to say he was trying to shoot the guy. It was just a ridiculous, completely messed yeah. up. Like, man, I wish I just not even tried it. <laughs> just got mauled because it was yeah, it was a complete mess. Yeah, so you, you have to think about those things. And yet you do have grizzlies out in Idaho. Um, and they're getting further and further away from Yellowstone. So you do have them there. And it, it's, it's part of life. And like I said, you may have one passing through. Well, one passing through doesn't say, "Hey, I'm good for dinner right now," or, or like, "Oh, I'm on the I don't have a I don't have a cub with me trail." Uh, so, those are definitely things you got to be aware of. You know, the same thing with wolves. As far and wolves really aren't going to attack you, but something to think about. If there's a mountain lion, and I've seen this in Colorado where you walk back on the trail, and then your footprints are a cat track, and you start realizing, "Wow, this is interesting." This could go. This this could have gone south a long time ago. And where is this cat at now? Did it lose interest, uh, or what? So, you know, things to be to be prepared. That, you know, we we didn't know. We also didn't know we had moose in, in the same area that reintroduced moose in our the the area we were we were hunting in our first year until we heard that that uh, that distinct sound of a. I'm like, what in the world? Why is a moose out here? And then after we went to the wildlife people as we're getting ready to leave town, like, hey, this is where we went and stuff like that. And like, oh, do you see any moose? We just reintroduced a whole herd of them out there. And that's something we'd have been nice to know. Um, some other things, I, I, your unit, I'm not sure if you have cattle on there or not. Those are things to be prepared for. Walked out, our first year walked out and did not realize that Ranchers have grazing rights on public lands. Yeah, open during certain. Yeah, during certain parts of the year, and kept running into bovine cows all over the place. And he's like, "Man, where are the elk? Because they're sure not with these bovine cow." And I'm constantly running into cows. And funny story is that we thought day one we were tagging out. It was foggy. Um, <laughs> we had no clue what we're doing, and we're came up over this over this ridge and in the fog all we see is this dark brown silhouette moving through and it's four-legged and we're thinking not a deer it's bigger than a deer and it's just breaking all kinds of stuff as it's walking and we're thinking oh this is going to be it we set up start calling it looked over at us and kept walking we're thinking what are we doing wrong besides sounding like a horrible band like like drunk kids on karaoke night so kind of got closer and closer to it and realized, man, this thing's not stopping. Kept, we just started walking towards it. It was a bovine cow. 
because it turned. We got about 10 yards from this thing. My buddy's at full draw, and it just <laughs> moves at him. Oh, That's how foggy it a, was. It, attorney's fees. <laughs> yeah, and we're thinking, oh, man, we could have dropped this thing. This would have been, this would have sucked, but we would have been eating good for the next few nights. <laughs> man, we could talk us all day. I mean, there's a, I mean, yeah, grizzlies definitely, you know, bears are something to think about. It's usually bear season, about the same time archery season is for elk in different places. I mean, one, you may run into other hunters out there who are hunting bears with rifle or muzzle or whatever the season is. And then, and then just the fact of sows with cubs. And then whether that's a black bear, whether that's a grizz, whatever it is, know what your predators are around you. We had to have a clue. It's going to be a really, I mean, we talked about this a little bit on the, the last podcast, but for me, it's just an adventure. I mean, it's going to be a culmination of all of the the skills and the interests and, and all the things yeah. that I have. Yeah, I think deep down Adam wants me to break my leg or something <laughs> so he can save me and be the hero carrying me out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I'll throw out a couple of resources for people that can kind of sit on, on their own and, and kind of – like if you're going, like you're going to Idaho – I go to Colorado hunting in Colorado Facebook page. There's a couple different Colorado hunting Facebook pages out there. People will help you out. Elk addicts on Facebook is another great resource. A ton of people that just willing to help people out. And Chris Horton runs that page. He does him and his administrators do a great job of quelling any drama that goes on. And they're like, Hey, we're here to help people and we don't need all this, all this sass going on on the, on this page. Uh, so there's local Facebook pages for where you're going. I'm sure there's the Idaho Elk Hunters Facebook page out there. Born and Raised Outdoors, you mentioned it. Great. Not only just great entertainment, you can pick a ton of knowledge. And right now they're doing a lot of a lot of YouTube videos on what worked or you know how to dress how to dress a, a, an elk, how to draw strategies to uh, different things in their packs, how they did certain things. Uh, a lot of their videos are coming out. Um, Paul Medell's Elk Nut. It's one word, Elk Nut. He has an app. The great thing about the app, when we talked about calling briefly, was you actually has a recording piece in there. So you can push, like, as I understand, you can, if you want a location bugle, we, they'll give you a location bugle. And then when you play it, it records it. And then you get feedback on what you sounded like. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool little app there. Plus, he's always available. He has people call him from the from mountains all the time. There's another podcast, The Rich Outdoors by Cody Rich. It's like tons of strategies. Every Wednesday is a is Whoppity Wednesday, and he has somebody on who's you know just smacking down some elk and strategies. That, hey, you know this is working great. This didn't work great. You know this is what we're doing. Definitely keeps people. Uh, tell them the story, so to speak, and keeps asking details and details so people can can learn from it. ton of resources. We talked about like the gear dump with Pure Elevation and Randy Newberg. He does he does one. He has several of those. I would definitely highly encourage the uh, University of Elk Hunting on elk101.com. That is worth its price. I forget what Corey's charging right now, but it's, it's, I think it's less than a hundred dollars. And then 
you can get that and you, you can, so it comes with an app as well for your smartphone and you can actually download entire modules and videos on on your phone so okay i want to right before you leave you download you know the gutless method of, of quartering an, an elk and you have it there so literally you can sit there and play it while you're doing it play pause it do what do what he just did play it again keep doing that until you're done uh the google earth and e-scouting section is what what got me that was it's phenomenally done that that's awesome especially for people who can't go out there and scout and say okay this is bedding or this is primary food or whatever and the whole thing is just phenomenal yeah i think i think we've covered just about everything um that that we had like specific questions on and yeah. we've gone over a ton of stuff uh, yeah definitely in in closing what is the most what is the biggest mistake that you made um Oof. going out there the first time or you know we we, go, we went over like the things that you wish you knew uh, but that doesn't necessarily uh encompass like things you wish you didn't do so besides I guess what, yeah Besides the scat scenario, and you know that's a mistake, though. You know, I wish I'd known it, but it was a mistake, and nonetheless, right? Is the winds not realizing how much the winds out there carry, as opposed to the whitetail woods? Okay, so the thermals and things like that. Oh, it—that is everything. If you've got that understood, I, I would say. I've heard that by many people who just, you know, like, hey, if you can get the winds down and understand the winds, you will be a whole lot better. You can go out there in a flannel t-shirt and a pair of hiking pants and do your thing if you've got the wind in your favor. If you could constantly keep your wind in your favor. We didn't care. We were we were backwards of everything all the time. And I think that was a huge one. And that expectation management. We were we got to get this done. We got to get this done. Yeah. I know. think I think I'm a I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I mean, I'm I got a one yeah. in four chance, one in five chance. I mean, that's I'm just, yeah. that's pretty good. I got I got to say, I'm going out there with the you know attitude of just going out, having a good trip, and seeing some beautiful country. And if we walk away with an elk, then that's a bonus. So I think that's 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 a big piece of it. Definitely going to be a learning experience for us. So. Right, and I've 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 talked to a lot of people on that expect expectation management thing that have gone out there their first year or whatever, and not bought a tag. They just went and filmed for somebody else, or went and bought a, a small game tag or a, a wolf tag or something, and just tagged along with people that knew what they were doing. So, I mean, we're kind of throwing all our eggs in one basket and saying, well, we're gonna go out there we're going to buy tags we're going to do it ourselves, and 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 kind of go for it but realizing i mean i probably said it a hundred times in the last five podcasts is that we we don't know what we're doing so it's gonna we're gonna we're gonna luck into it or we're gonna do enough research on the front end to put ourselves in position for what, what the tag yeah, that definitely. we have is any elk so right and so. talking to guys like you and listening to everything that you have to say and the the gear and the mistakes that's just you know that's that's what this podcast is about it's going to help other people like us 
get a step ahead. We're not reinventing the wheel every time. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We, we just decided we're going to do it. We, we had it planned. We were going to do it. When we, myself and my best friend, we're, when we retire, we're just going to wake up in the elk woods and realize, hey, we're no longer, we're, we're now free men <laughs> and let's go bag an elk. And then it, it kind of, things came open sooner than that. And we said, let's just go do this. And we were just kind of blew into it blindly and like, oh, well, this is how this has got to work. Yeah. If you got an outfitter and six guides around you, sure. And a TV crew and a camera crew, it works great. <laughs> In, in a 42 minute segment yeah we definitely i definitely don't have mind don't mind sharing what went right what went wrong what things i would just like hey i wouldn't even worry with this so um i'd love to people have you know put my contact info on the show notes or however you want to do it and i'm more than willing to talk to people and say hey this is what i did what i didn't do and see if we can't get some more success out there Sure. Sounds good. Sure. That sounds great. And uh, again, we appreciate everything um, yeah. for you coming on here. This is by far um, one of the more informative podcasts that we have. It's usually just us fumbling through what we think or what we're, what we're going to do. Um, mm-hmm. So 100% um, thank you for all the Absolutely. information. And Absolutely. Um, so, so where can people get a hold of you? I'll put it in the notes as well. Um, okay. It's kind of a, interesting right right now that i mean immediately the easiest way is to find me on facebook and it's joe if you put in joe higginbotham and you see it in the show notes so i'm not gonna try to spell it is uh it'll also pop up as lance mckenzie it's a long story but um it'll be a picture of me with an elk shed on my back walking in the snow i'll leave that up there for quite a while for people to find me and then uh, reach me via email. It's uh, mighty underscore Joe seven five at Yahoo. I'll be happy to share anything I got, like the Excel spreadsheet or photos of my Fitbit each day of, of the elk hunt or or whatever. I'm happy to share. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much, Joe, and um, we will definitely be in touch. So I think that's pretty much all we got for today. All right, guys. All right, thanks, thanks for having me on. Right. See you.